This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. You ready? I'm ready. All right, guys. Welcome to the Full Blast Podcast. I'm Jeff Fader. And before we get into it with the year-end closeout with my good friend, Noah Vashon, I got to do a little bit of business at the end of the year. You know what I'm saying? I just got off the phone with Noah from Axwax, and he's going to stick with the show. He's been with me from day one. Axwax is awesome. It's all-natural food-safe wax for your axes, for your handles, for your wood, for your steel, all that stuff. I just forged a hammer, the last hammer, first and last hammer of the year. I By the end of this year, I wanted to have a hammer made. I made the hammer, and I made the handle, and then I coated it with Axwax. I hit it with a heat gun, and then I kind of wiped it all down. It's awesome. And I, I actually put Axwax on all my handles of all my hammers, and I, I just like the way it feels. It's great stuff. Go get yourself some Axwax. And you can go to axwax.us and put in promo code FULLBLAST10, and you're going to get 10% off. Now, if you're in the U.K., uh, Toby Morell has a great company called UK Knife Maker Supply. That's U Knife Maker Supply. And he is taking Full Blast 10 if you want to get some Axe Wax. So thank you, Toby, for that. If you're in Australia, Nordic, I, nordicedge.com.au. That's nordicedge.com.au. They're taking Full Blast 10 for 10% off your Axe Wax. And if you're in the EU, my main man, Keith Colby, over at knifematerial.at is taking Full Blast 10. So global, ladies and germs, Axe Wax is global. So get yourself a little bit of Axe Wax for all natural food safe. You know, you know, you know. The next is... I know it's the end of the year, but let's just cut the shit here. I know some of you guys made a little extra money. Don't lie to me. I know you guys made a little extra money, sold this, you sold that, and you're all like, what am I going to buy? Should I buy a new tool? Maybe. Should I buy some booze? I'm sure you are. Should I buy a website? The answer is yes. Invest in your website because I think you're playing around. Go to akinteractive.com slash full blast. Andreas Kalani will get you squared away if you either don't have a website or you maybe you need your website fixed up or maybe you need to figure out a way to get out of the DMs because doing business in the DMs is for suckers, ladies and gentlemen. It's for suckers. It's a, it's a time waster. So go get yourself a good website or get your logo fixed or get your, uh, you know, get some graphic design done. Andreas Kalani is going to stick with us through the new year. I'm proud of that guy. The guy is awesome. Andreas Kalani is a small business guy. He's got a lot of experience doing websites and logo design, and he's a knife maker, so he talks your language. He talks the maker language. Did a great job for Charlie Lionheart. I love his website. So go to akinteractive.com slash full blast. You automatically get 10% off when you do, okay? So stop playing. Get out of the DMs. Last thing, I got an incredible, incredible knife vice from Trojan Horse Forge. For some reason, that name's tough for me to say. It's, if on Instagram, it's under, it's Trojan underscore horse underscore forge. And they sent me the stable rail knife finishing vise. And there's one mistake. It doesn't tell you that it's more than just a knife vise. A lot of knife makers think of a knife vise. Okay, it, I hold, it holds the blade and then I can finish the handle. This thing is so much more than that. It's more like a complete hand finishing fixture because it has these bolts that you can bolt a plate on and on the plate you can hand sand your blades and if you have a distal taper it adjusts so it kind of stabilizes your distal taper so your hand sanding nice if you have an integral bolster it drops back so you can actually 
submit your, your sub, uh, submerge or put down, you can put your integral bolster into the space and then you're sanding away. Or if you have a kukri or a curved knife or something like that, it moves so you can hand sand your blade. So I'm, I'm amazed at how great this, uh, stable rail knife vice is because it's more, it's more than just a handle knife, a handle finishing vice. It's the whole thing. And what you should do is if you go to trojanhorseforge.com, get on their newsletter because these things are not they don't have these in stock they make them in batches and then as they as they're closer and closer to the batches what'll happen is is they'll send a newsletter they'll whoever's on the newsletter will say okay well, you, now you can pre-order and then you can pre-order one cuz they're beautiful and you can get your they they laser engrave my name on it it's just everything about it, it came in like this bomb proof case this thing is made really 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 nice like all when you get this you take all your 2x4s that you've been using and you throw them in the fire because you don't need them anymore so get yourself off of the 2x4s those are for suckers too this thing is really good these guys are really really talented and this is the nicest fixture I've ever seen and had. So go get yourself the uh, um, stable rail finishing vice from Trojan Horse Forge, and uh, definitely thank you guys. I, I'm amazed at how great this thing is. It's I appreciate it very much. So okay, it's the end of the year, ladies and gentlemen. We've we've gotten through 2021 almost, just about almost. And I'm happy to to have with me Noah Vashon. Noah Vashon's an incredible guy. Up in Canada, he makes some of the tightest knives around. And he's I'm I was talking to Ben Snur today and I said, You are the most articulate man in knife making. Welcome well, he's one of the most articulate men in hammer making, I think. Well, maybe maybe that's so. Maybe <laughs> Ben, maybe you gotta see maybe you got a, a point there. How are you, Noah? Fantastic. Thanks for having me back, man. Oh, it's a pleasure. It was a, it was a no brainer. I wanted to. I like to have these kind of holiday holiday episodes in in radio. Like they take they take time off for holidays, but for some reason, like I used to like the shows in between. They were always just a little bit more relaxed, and it was just. I thought, who better than to have Noah back on? Wow, thank you, man. I had a great time listening to the one you did with Fingal too last week. That was that was good. It was a relaxed chat, and uh, kind of got into like some of the characterization of him and his family and everything. It was good. It's good. He's it was a, easy listening. He's quite he's quite a character. He's quite a character. He's like I mean, he is at eleven. Like there's some moments in the podcast where I've in the past I've been like, well let's see how much work I have to do in this one. When when Finkel's on, you just you know, I just like sit back and let him go. He's the best. He's yeah, it was organic. It was natural. He sent me some um he sent me some stuff and I was stupefied how good it was. The, and I got a lot of messages about how much they like the food talk. So I, it made a lot of sense for me to also have you on, too, because you're in, in near Montreal, which is like I think might be the food capital of the Northeast. Yeah, I'm actually in Montreal right now. I, oh, you are? Yeah. So I came last night and I had a little kind of casual hangout with a few friends, people I hadn't seen too much over the holidays. Everybody's like busy with their families. And so we managed to put one night aside, and we all got together, and we hung out, played some music. And so I crashed at a, a friend's place who's out of town, and so I got a place to myself. It's kind of like, I mean, I used to live alone in Montreal years ago. And of course, now I've got, you know, family and kids and everything like that. So this is kind of fun. It's, it's very quiet. It's kind of unsettling how quiet it is without kids around. Now, where in the city are you? Well, he's pretty much right downtown. Uh, so, I mean... You know, it's, uh, I don't know how to describe it. Like, if you were just smack downtown on St. Catherine Street, it's like a 10-minute walk down the hill, basically. How close are you to the Atwater Marche? 
Uh, this is like, yeah, it's like a 20 minute walk from where I, I used to live actually pretty much right next to the water, the Atwater market. Yeah. That so, place. It's good. Was mind blowing. Yeah. I, when, uh, you know, I live, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm only five hours away from you, to be honest with you, which is a crazy it's true. A five hour drive. I grew up, growing up in New York, we never even thought to go to Montreal. Like it wasn't even like. I don't know why. I mean, my dad never thought about it, and he loved France, and I, he, I just, it, it just never crossed our minds. And then when we got older, we, I started to realize that you know we could, could go up there, and we drove up, and we hit the Atwater. I get that Atwater Market. Well, yeah, and yeah. it was like, I mean, it blew my brains out how great it was. <laughs> so, you, wait, you don't have markets like that, like kind of like open air, where you know you get farmers and vendors from all over coming in. I mean, there must be stuff like that in New York. Well. Yeah, but I mean, but not. I mean, yeah, you could go to like the Grand Central Station. Tried to do that, okay, and they. But it's like it's so expensive in 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 the in Midtown Manhattan that it's just like it's just like it's ridiculous. oh everything has to get jacked up basically. Oh, like if you're on Park Avenue or you, or your landlord's the you know Grand Central Station. I mean, right. you, all of a sudden you're you know it's just outrageous. But I mean, we never had that European style. I mean, I mean, it's for me the the amazing thing about Montreal is when you my drive, my drive is literally like to get to Montreal. I think I only have to make one, two, two rights and three lefts, and then drive straight. I mean, I right. literally, I'm like not too far from. Um, the turn up uh, the, the the New York State uh, throughway and it goes right direct. I mean, it's you just like don't even go. Any, I mean, it's like le- legitimately amazing. And then yeah. the best part is, is when you're driving up there, all of a sudden when you're getting close to the border, the music, the the the, cha- the stations start to change and you, you start to hear French. French. Music. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then the signs and all the highway signs are starting to go in kilometers, but then the font is like. Like we were, we were like, I think we're going some sort of tunnel or something. It was like the 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 ch- it changed the font of the of signs, and then all of a sudden you're just like, we just sort of call it France Junior because it was yeah. just so so French. So the Outwater Market is like was just just this incredible place, and we had we had this one time we went there. The first time we went there, we had this like you were uh, it was like a blueberry bread or something like that, and it was mm. like the greatest thing we'd ever had. And then the next time I went with my buddy Nico, we were uh, we had like croissants that were dripped in in like raspberry glaze. It was like mm. Montreal's for me, man. Yeah, yeah, a lot of good food here, definitely. But yeah. it's like. But it seems as though it's it's almost like it's see it's very European, but it's like but it's American sized portions. Yeah, yeah. In you a th- lot of cases, that's true. Yeah, but there are still parts of the city though. Like when you walk around them, I mean, I don't know if you you must have like walked through walked around the old port when you were here. Yes. Yeah. So like you're walking around the old port and you, you totally feel like you're in a period f- film or something. Like you know, just you you definitely feel transported and it doesn't. Yeah, it it's definitely got a European flair. Uh, no it's, but but the, but the interesting thing is is like the funny part was is my wife speaks a little bit of French oh, and does. I remember her, her trying to speak to someone and the and the person was so nice and he's just like let's just speak English let's just stop <laughs> don't have to you don't it was she was they were so nice they didn't even need her to like practice they were just like let's just speak English we all speak English here it's all good <laughs> yeah it's true you, it's pretty easy to get by without it yeah so you're you got you're having a nice break. Mm-hmm. It's been a great year for you. It's been a good year. Yeah, it has. I mean, I I always like to break things up into, you know, chunks. And 
I really like this time of year because I get to just kind of, this is really the only time I take time off. I mean, I don't really take right. a summer holiday or anything. So, so this is like the only time when I really let myself just walk away from the shop. You know, I close the door. I don't come back for a week and I get a chance to just reflect on it. Think about what's going to come up and you know, what worked, what didn't, you know, anyway, but yeah, looking back, I was, I mean, I was actually just before we got on, I was looking at my taxes. So uh, oh. I'm I'm a little deep into it, but uh, it's good. It was a good year. I mean, all all around, I would say. Be, and you got a new shop now, right? I got a new shop. Yeah, the new shop is is that's been. You know, I I wasn't sure if it was going to make a big difference or not. Obviously, when you're making a change like that, you're concerned. I'm like, oh, am I going to like lose some of my mojo? Or you know, I liked my current. I liked my old shop, but yeah. it was a great move. It, I mean, there were so many things that are so much better just not a not being at home all the time having that really good work-life separation i mean I, my shop was right outside my house yeah. which is it's good and bad but i mean the new shop it's great it's, it's like five minutes down the road so close enough that i don't have to like you know worry about having to go in the evening or something like that to pick something up or you know throw another coat of oil on a handle or whatever uh but far enough away that when i come home it does feel like it's it's over. I can like just turn off the work part of my brain, you know. Do you have you have you is your shop at home still your shop at home or is it like filled with like the snow blowers and the kids toys? It's and stuff getting like there actually. Yeah. So we had this plan so that my my shop was like a shed that I insulated and put some heat into and it's it's sitting empty basically, but I'd like to turn it into an art space for the kids. So it's I'm trying not to fill it up with crap, but um Hey, I mean, <laughs> an empty space just calls for more crap to be shoved into it. It seems like so, yeah. So it's filling up a little bit. But we're in the summer. I think we're gonna we're gonna turn that into like an art space for the kids. We're gonna get a pottery kiln in there and uh, you know make make good use of that shop space. It's not gonna sit empty or be like a, a you know lawnmower storage for long. I don't think. Mine is filled to the brim. My old shop was in my shed. And I you know, I'll be it's interesting to talk about your home ha home shop versus like a, 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 your shop at, you know, away from home. And I had when I I was using my shop and it was great and I loved it. I the things that I loved about it were, you know, for a knife maker, you can do something in 15 minutes, like glue something up. Yep. You know, you so if you can't sleep, you go downstairs, you don't want to make any noise, you can do something small, you know, or yep, you clean totally. up or put stuff away or you know, there's a lot of little things you can do within a, you know, you got a minute. I got a half an hour, let me go. And so I thought, well, I'm just going to keep the space clean. And we, we, you know, we started to kind of, I was going to, we were going to turn it into something. I don't know what it was going to turn it into. And then we moved my mother, uh, to her, to where she's living now. And, uh, my, and we had to do a big monster like storage of some of her stuff because it just wasn't, wasn't, she didn't have enough room. So it's my, our, my shop is now filled with boxes. So I can't even walk in there. It's a storage space, basically. It's a storage space. Right. And it's like, it's not even like a nice storage space. It's like, I think there was some water in there. I can smell a little bit of mold and I'm really like mm -hmm. not looking forward to going in there in the summer. And it's just like, <sighs> but at the same time, it is interesting having that new shit. So how do you, how does your workflow different from having it at the, at the house? Well, so I've noticed that uh, I work my 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 work day is less interrupted in general like when i was at home you know you, you start to get hungry you, you go into the house you make yourself right. some lunch and then you're like ah oh, this needs to be put away or oh i could do this and you know there's like you you you're not at work anymore but you're still 
you know, it's not like you're relaxing either because you're in your house where you have all these, you know, millions of things you could be doing. Distractions. Distractions. Um, and so I don't have that, which is really good. Um, I don't actually take lunches anymore anyway. Um, so I just work pretty much all day. And uh, so I'm getting more done. Um, and the the spaces, I mean, you know, I've, I've had like three shops, four shops now, four, four different shop spaces. And so you get better every time, right? Like every time you move your shop or you, you move to a new space, you have you learn from the way that you set it up last time and like, okay, this should be over here. I need more space for this, whatever. And so that's one of the huge benefits of having moved my shop. I mean, I have a bit more space than I did before, which is good, but I'm making much better use of that space. Um, and so that's kind of helped with the workflow too. I mean, um, I have to do less kind of chasing after dust for one thing. Cause I've got, you know, two enclosed separated spaces. Like I think your shop oh, is all nice. one, one open space, right? Uh, yeah. So when you're two, grinding, your, your dust is going everywhere, or you, oh, you have a grinding area. Uh well, it's a gr- it's a grinding corner, but I mean, it doesn't really go the, the whole length of the shop. Okay, I do have some extraction fans uh, and some like I use a uh, I use a uh, a wet dry vac for like when I'm sanding handles and stuff like that. Right, and it doesn't go that far. And and I've gotten to the point where I just I try to like vacuum up every few days and. That's the move. Vacuum yeah. for sure. Like sweeping is kind of the worst thing you can do in a shop like that. It just it doesn't it work all up in the air. Yeah, it just it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Yeah. It doesn't work. I, I do the one thing that really kind of saved my bacon is I did get a long time ago. I got like those restaurant uh, mats yes. that have holes in them. Yeah, okay. and those have you know saved my back probably. I mean. I'm. I can stand up all day long, and I don't have any problems. But but it, that's it makes it hard to clean up with those things. You got to pull them up just like falls the rest through of them. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But other than that, I mean, you know, what's interesting is is like what you were saying about distractions. I do. Cha- my mindset is changed once I got a shop outside of my house because you end up becoming much more. You but everything's more efficient. You have to be more efficient, so you have to be way more like on top of what needs to be done. Have you had any of those times where you get home and you think you forgot to turn something off and gone back? Not yet, but I'm like I double check everything on the way out because I you know it's an old building and right the I mean I was nervous getting into it about the you know the idea of having sparks anywhere near it. So like the history of the building is. It's about a 130-year-old building. It used to be sort of like the town train depot, I guess, where like farmers would wow. bring their grain to get loaded onto trains and things would be unloaded and stuff. And then the top floor was the dance hall. So there was like the church was across the road, and that was like the community dance hall. And there's still the old organ like tucked in a corner up there. But it's been a woodworking shop for the last 40 years. And so you can imagine huh. the amount of wood dust that is just like permeating that entire space and so yeah making sure that i separated the metal sparks from the wood sparks was like my priority when i first you know got into the space and so i'm a little paranoid you know i i definitely like i check everything before i leave because the last thing i want is to come in the you know, come in the morning and i don't even want to say it you know just, don't say it but just to <laughs> let you just to make things sound a lot worse is my space is actually this space from um, a good friend of mine's shop. Okay. Who uh, he owns, he's he's a, you know, just a, I've known this guy for a long time and he owns this building that stores 
cars for people in the city. So, like, if you have a really expensive car that you just want to store for the winter, you have it here. So, there's like a few million dollars, a number of million dollars worth of really, really nice cars in like this Like, right on the other side of the wall, basically? Right on the other side yeah, of the wall. Right. So, like, he, this was a, my space originally was a storage space for, and then he, he, I was telling him, I'm like, I got to move out of this fucking town because I can't, you know, I can't do any forging in my because my neighbors come over they want to see what I'm doing I don't mm. want any of that and then he's like well I have a, spe- a space if you want it you can have it and he's like I've known you forever and then I looked at it and it was just like this is perfect and it really is perfect but the thing is is like you know we the, we the, it, the space has got like uh, sprinkler systems and and we have uh, okay. all sorts of like extraction fans and stuff like that and but at the same time I'm always like a little bit afraid that like I'm going to get a call mm-hmm. because we actually last winter there was a call because one of the al- sensors went off and then the the uh, it was in the middle of the day on a weekend and the uh, guy who runs the building says Jeff we need to get in your your shop I said what do you mean you need to get in my shop and he's like well the fire department's here and I was like almost had like a total nervous breakdown <laughs> well it turns out it was nothing to do with my shop. But I gave them the code, and they got came in and stuff like that. But I totally come here probably every other week. I come home and I say I forgot to turn off something, and, and I go come back? back to the shop. Oh, I yeah, come okay. back. To, I'm I'm like two miles away. Oh, okay, that's not bad. But it's still like you know, it's still just a, my wife's just like, well, you don't. What do you mean you tr- kept the d- compressor on and it's leaking? I'm like, well, I don't want you know, I don't want it to go on all night long, and right. or like you know, you're, you're afraid. I, I I'll I'll leave the temper going like if i'll temper knives i'll leave the temper going with and, and leave yep i'll do that but too. that's about it yeah that's about it and then maybe you know it's gonna if, kick off right i mean it, it's not gonna i know that it's gonna that. kick off yeah. but and then sometimes i have stabilized wood or or i'll dry wood in my kiln at 200 degrees and then i'll leave it going and it's been okay and in my mind i'm like oh if it's if there's a fire inside the kiln i mean it's not gonna ex- escape the kiln yeah it's probably a, not the smartest idea but at the same time like i haven't had any problems in the past few years but i always i'm always just like it's a little bit of a struggle mind struggle yeah well i mean uh, better safe than sorry with that stuff man i mean i don't know like it sounds like your building most likely has you know it's like fully insured and all that kind of stuff so you but i mean nobody wants to have to replace well i mean i don't want to be on the hook for like i don't want to be on the hook for it all but the funny thing is is we have these sprinkler systems and there's one sprinkler that was that was right where the grinders were and I they the sprinkler guys came and they kind of moved something and I said do you think that this sprinkler over here is is going to do you think I need this one here and the guy turns to me and he goes well what kind of what do you think you're going to do I'm like well you know throw sparks and stuff like that he's just like you're if if you set this this sprinkler off, you're going to want it to go off. You're going to be because you're going to be on fire. Well, that's it, <laughs> the only yeah. reason. The only reason why this will go off is you're going to you're going to want this sprinkler to go off because yeah. you you will be on fire. You want that one there. So, <laughs> but uh, you know, so so do you think that your shop has made you more? Are you doing more work? I know that the new the new uh, your new diamond grind knives are for presale. They look beautiful. Thank you. What, yeah. Tell me what's going on with those. Those are amazing. So about a year ago, so actually probably like right around the time when we spoke last year, I was in the process of trying to trans- transition what I make away from, you know, from stainless steel and from stock removal blades, which is what I had started doing. And I was getting more into forging. And 
So most of this year, I haven't really been making too many stainless stock removal blades available. And that was my bread and butter. That was my main offering for like the first, you know, four years of doing this. And so most of my clients had kind of come to expect that. So, I mean, I was a little bit concerned when I decided, okay, now I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm doing all forged stuff, doing Sanmai, doing Damascus and all this kind of stuff. I was a little bit concerned. Is this going to fly? Am I going to be able to basically change my entire product offering like overnight? Um, And luckily I did and everything went really well. And I was having a ball doing the knives that were really, you know, inspiring me and challenging me and all that stuff. But at the same time, I mean, I have, I have clients who are kind of waiting around, like, are you going to make any more stainless knives? I mean, we, that's what we're, that's what we like. And so I decided at the end of the year, like, why don't we just do another batch? I'd done one last year of like the mini Nikiris, which had the same handle style, the, the burnt curly maple and they went well. And I thought, well, let's do something different. I make a lot of eight inch as you, as as everyone does, you know, a lot of eight inch chef knives, um, and seven inch petties. I don't really do that too often. It's kind of an odd size. And so I thought this would be like a good batch thing to do. And it's something I probably won't be doing in my regular rotation, but if I can, you know, pre-sell a batch of them, then I'll just do them as a batch. And, um, so anyway, the, you know, it's it's using the the diamond grind, which is the thing that I've been doing for a couple of years now to to help with it lightens it up, you know, it helps with uh, food release and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then these burnt, you know, curly maple handles, which I I don't think a lot of other people are doing. I I, I certainly haven't seen too many other makers like you can like the burnt oak, but uh, right. I haven't seen the burnt curly maple, and it's kind of a unique thing. And, it, and so anyway, so I thought I'm going to put these two things that seem to work together. And you know, put them up, make them available. So, so far, so good. Your diamond, your diamond grind is, as far as I'm concerned, synonymous with you. Yeah, and that's funny. It's okay, cool. Th- it's great. It's awesome. I mean, I think that I think that that's number one. Your belt finishes is are unbelievable. I mean, you're right up there. Well, you're right up there with like I, I, belt finishes are tough. I I if I wish I could do a good belt. I, one of the reasons why I hand sand is because my belt finishes are not great. I mean, oh, they're really? just okay. I belt they're not, they're just okay. I hand sanding. <laughs> well, no. I mean, if you're good at it, you're you're you're. If you're good at it, you're good at it. I mean, I'm just not as. I just don't like the way I, when I do it. I feel like it. I personally feel like a belt finish. Sometimes it when it's really nice, it looks. You know, you don't realize it. Yeah. But if it's very very visible, sometimes it makes your eye. It doesn't allow allow your eye to go from the heel of from the from the. It doesn't allow you to flow. Yeah, from the direction of the knife. Flow, yeah. yeah. So for me, it's like it was like I just don't think I do a good job, and I just I, I sometimes I try to do it on smaller knives. And smaller knives, I do a better job, and I've been really trying to do some more, really focusing on trying to do a better job. But your your belt finishes are incredible, yeah, but the you. but the but the diamond the diamond grind is so great because it reminds me. You know, I was talking. To last year, I was talking to Salem Straub, and we were talking about the S grind. Okay, you non knife makers, you, this is like Knife Talk Junior right here. So the S grind is like a hollow in between the um, the spine of the knife and the, like a half an inch of the blade, and then a, a half an inch to the blade. And what it does is it makes this, you know, it it, it makes a pat, it, it cuts in a, a fuller inside the the knife, and it's it's great, but. When I when I look at a lot of knife makers who do the 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 uh, S grind, I wonder if it like I I just some part of me is just like I, I think about it sculpturally and say, like, well, what's the point of it, you know, visually? Mm. And when I see what uh, Salem Straub does, he actually makes 
the uh, he f- forges in his 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 Damascus, so it like it connects yeah. to, to the the S grind, which is like such a smart move. He's doing like when edge I look wraps. At, yeah, that yeah. I mean, it there. makes yeah. it. It makes it purposeful. It makes it very purposeful. It makes it makes the S grind part of the design decision as opposed, you know, yeah. and, and for anything else. It's just, I mean, it's just he's he's just got it. You know, he's so on the ball. It's just insane. But when I look at your diamond grinds, I feel the same way. I feel like the diamond grinds are a visual aspect of your knife that is Noah Vachon. Oh, cool. Yeah. I mean, I think you know we're always trying to find that balance between you know, functionality and aesthetics, right? And if you can find something that kind of nails both, then, I mean, you probably have something at that point, right? Well, I'm convinced this comes from your days of making guitars. It could. There's, it has to be. It has to be. Because, I mean, guitar is, you know, function first and then form, right? Yeah. I mean, it's hard to play around with the form of a guitar. I mean, like, you look at an acoustic guitar, I mean, it's, it's iconic because it's, doesn't really change like they all look pretty much the same there's a little variety but not a lot and i mean the same could be said i guess for chef knives up until you know pretty recently with the sort of explosion of creativity that's been injected into it um but uh yeah that that you know the other thing is industrial design is all about form and function right right so you're always looking for that balance and i think that i think that that probably informed the knife making for me Maybe more than the guitars. I mean, the guitar thing is all about finesse and good finishing and getting tight fit. Like coupling is something that gets referred to a lot in guitar making, which has to do with the transition, the transmission of vibrations from one piece to another piece that it's, let's say, connected to or butted up against. And so bad coupling would mean you've got like a glue gap or an airspace or the surfaces that are mating are in some way not mating perfectly. They're uneven. And that can result in just not ideal sonic qualities. You can end up with really? weird like resonances that are, you know, not sympathetic or whatever. And so, I'd... yeah, I mean, that that's like, especially with acoustic instruments. I mean, electric instruments, it's, it's important too, but with acoustic instruments, you want every single piece of that guitar to be so well mated to the other pieces that the vibrations can pass through them more or less like with as little interruption as possible. Um, and so you could apply that to like gluing up a handle. I mean, it's not going to have sound pass through it, but you know that the better that those pieces fit together, you know, the, the, the better overall end result you're going to have. So obviously you don't want to have any like weird glue gaps. You don't want to have any specks of dust that got trapped in the glue that, you know, created that or, you know, like the mating two surfaces together has to be done very carefully, very precisely. That's how I feel about it. So when you're making guitar, is there any going back when you put the strings on all of a sudden you're just like, whoa, something's mated wrong. Can you go back and fix it? Or is it like pretty much like you're out? I, I or mean, are there like systems in, in place that make sure that you don't get to that part? It depends. I mean, a lot of the times when you're first starting, you're building, you're not really trying to do anything terribly new. You're, you're playing it safe. And so you, you're building from a design or from a plan or, or, you know, you're making small changes, iterations, every guitar that you make until you get to something that's kind of more experimental and different, but going back no, it's kind of like, it's kind of like knife making. It's like, fix it on the next one. You know, you can't, right. you're not going to really No, there's, although traditionally they would have used hide glue. So there you can actually go back because hide glue can just basically be steamed apart. Um, but most, mm. most modern makers are using like alphatic resins or, you know, just like modern 
modern glues, and I, they're a little trickier to pull apart, I think, without causing damage. But um, yeah, you just have to keep moving, right? I mean, like that's what I always tell myself. If something doesn't come out right, I'm like, all right, the next one will be better, you know. I, I saw that you posted you posted this beautiful knife that was a sandmai that failed, and you said some days, some days it's just the way it is, and it was like this beautiful knife, and it looked great, and then you turned it on onto the, to see the edge, and it was like total separation. Yeah, that was actually Damascus, and that was just like the last oh. weld that must have been just no good. I mean, that was the first time that I just kind of went like balls out and said zero flux and. I was using WD-40. I should have been using kerosene because I just clearly, you know, didn't get that really nice uh, soot kind of between the layers or whatever. Anyway, right. yeah. It's all... I, I don't mind the failures at all, man. Like that... I embrace the failures because I learned something on that, you know. It cost me very little. Do you think the... Do you think the guitar making informed you more for the Damascus? Hmm. Because there's sim- there's a similarity in terms of like everything is very stage oriented, you know. Yep, definitely. Although, like, I find I mean, in general, guitar making is such a quiet, calm, sort of peaceful thing. Uh, you know, you're really you're, I find yeah, like you're you're usually in a nice, warm, humidity controlled shop. You know, you're using you're using nice hand tools. You're just creating wood shavings, which is like, I mean, they're like little feathers on your workbench. You know, it's like, they're very clean, like guitar making and woodworking in general, I feel like is very clean. And when I compare something like that to making Damascus or just steel in general, it's, it's loud, it's dirty. There's the risk of things catching fire. You know, there's percussive force and like, it's a very different headspace. I feel like when I'm doing word working versus metal working but but definitely the sort of like uh the desire to make sure that everything is super clean that you know that like when i'm you know making damascus like i'm 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 grinding nice flat surfaces for those pieces to mate you know back together uh with as few chances for flaws as possible obviously they still happen but um yeah, I mean, I think all what the best thing is everything is everything relates to everything. Like you can find a link yeah. between any two things. It's like the easiest thing in the world, and like everything I did leading up to what I'm doing now helped me in some way. Even the stuff I thought was like a total waste of time at the time, you know. Now I'm realizing where that fits in. Um, so, do you think that comes with age? Well, that maybe the realization of it does, because certainly there are things that I did when I was young and had no real clue where, where, where that piece of the puzzle would fit. But now, now that I'm a little older, I can kind of like see like, Oh yeah, actually if I hadn't had that, you know, shitty job, I wouldn't have realized, you know, that maybe like that's not for me and I should stay the hell away from this line of work entirely or whatever it was, you know, like, um, yeah. Age for sure though. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm this year specifically has been well the last five years, but like this year specifically, I had so much like philosophical growth, hmm. and a lot of it had to do with because uh, you know the two years ago, a year and a half. Well, I mean, for me, for us, the pandemic started two years ago because we heard about it. We were hearing about it in in early December. Okay, uh, of yeah, that's, of that's earlier than I heard about. It, I think yeah, well, yeah, we had we, we knew we knew physical uh, physicians in China. And we were getting messages, and okay. then Hillary was like, "Ah, it's just a cold, and not anything." And then, we, but we were like monitoring. We were we were under aware of it. A lot of people were aware of it in December, and 
it like the pandemic in its out of itself became so overwhelming for us because my wife's a frontline worker. We were, you know, the stories we, we you can listen to the first episode of the podcast. I'll it'll tell you the whole story of what happened with me and my family. Yeah. One thing is, is like we came to the conclusion after about a, a year that everything is too overwhelming and that we can't listen to the news anymore because it's just we can't control the things that are happening that are out of our control mm-hmm. so we all came to the conclusion my kid and my wife my kid did a whole year you know remote learning and my wife was every day even to this day going back to the front lines i mean dealing with covid every wow. single day and she can't you know when people say i don't want to hear you talk about covid anymore my wife says i don't want to hear fucking hear about covid anymore i hear about it every day of course so we really tried to figure Figure out ways in which to to focus our attention on the things we could control, and I realized that forging for me, blacksmithing for me, has been really, truly, the greatest life philosophy for me in terms of you know the way you organize your time and when you're forging something, you really. You can only go in one direction, you know, right. and you, it's monitoring what you're doing and the materials and your technique and making sure you're aware every heat. And, you know, it, it's it becomes something that, like, it's just a very, very flexible, not flexible, it's a very, very great uh, allegory to, not an allegory, it's a very good illusion, not a good illusion, that's not, a, not the right word, but it's a good, it's Analogy. a good... Analogy, my man. See, yeah, that's yeah. why you're the most articulate guy in knife making. I need you. <laughs> I need you know to bail me out. I mean, it was it was it was the the perfect analogy for how you can live your life. And yeah. I really started to really put that into things. But it took me. I'm 48. It took me to be 48 or 47 or 46 to realize, you know, that everything is everything is the same. And if you follow, you know, certain principles, you you know, it all is the same. Everything's the same. Yep, methodology is really what ties it all together. It's how you approach things, right? And wow, you can take that so, approach and you can apply it to anything. I, I find with I, we talked to a lot of knife makers, and um, there's just there's such there's so there's this mindset that I can't understand how people don't you know who are great knife makers, but they're like they're not able to use the techniques to make their beautiful knives in to make their lives better for themselves. Mm. You know, I, that's one thing that's crazy to me. That's one thing that's crazy to me, especially now. I, it's it's in what is what I, I find that there's this you know this unwillingness to under to appreciate the discipline that it takes to make a knife, or I mean the discipline it takes for you to make Damascus and to be able to say put your hands up when it doesn't work and just but like and then you go back to the drawing board, but at the same time in terms of you know mating materials and being you know uh, you know clean and trying to do everything the right way. I it is amazing to me that so many knife makers are unwilling to see that technique Hmm. to get their lives squared away i wonder if that might have something to do with the fact that they get a lot of the how from from all of the information that's available without a whole lot of the why like if you just basically somebody tells you you, oh you want to you want to make damascus okay so you take these layers and you do this and you follow these steps exactly if you do exactly what i'm telling you how to do then you will achieve it you will you will get a result right but you won't necessarily have done any of the work that the person who just showed you how to do it did in order to get there and all of that work is really important too like it's so so it's like the 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 why things work this way is just as important as the you know here's how you do it kind of thing right um and so i think you know it's like 
the process is very important. I, I hate, one thing I hate is when I get something right the first time because I didn't learn anything. It's like, wow, you are tough. Well, you're fucking tough, dude. It, I mean, I love it when I get it right the first time. Are you dude? kidding me? Like, oh, thank God. Well, the, the thing is, but I, then the pressure's on, and the pressure's on to get it right again. But I feel like if I get it right the first time, then I missed out on some opportunities to fail and learn more about the process, right? I mean, like, yeah. if you get it right the first time, it could just be a fluke. And, th- and then maybe what's even worse than getting it right the first time is getting it right the first time and then fucking it up royally the second time. And you're like, what? I thought I had this. You know, like you, f- you feel even more lost because you're like, shit, I, the first time I did it was perfect. And now all of a sudden, what's going on here? I'm like, I'm going back. I'm going backwards. You know, I, I, you are a thousand percent right. And I remember when I was at the Center for Mental Arts, it must have been my second year in and they were showing me how to use the power hammers and we were practicing doing like power hammer leaves or something like that. And we had a little bit of extra time. So I made this giant leaf. It was like a, it was like a giant maple leaf. Hmm. And John Ledford said, I've never seen one like that. That's the best power hammer leaf I've ever seen. <laughs> and he even showed it to Hoffy when Hoffy showed up. And he's like, this is the nicest power hammer leaf I've ever seen. And I, I was looking like, whoa, I cannot do this again. Yeah, right. I, there were so many things. There were so many things that just happened, and I just moved a certain way, and I had the you know, dies correct, and I just – and it was like, I can't do it again. I, I, there's just no way I could re- replicate it. Right. And you're absolutely right. It was like I didn't know what I did to get to that point at all. And it's like, it's like not to be – you know, to put it down, it's like it's a nice thing when things work out, when things are just like serendipitous and it's like everything just went right. It's nice. It's not. It's not to say that it's bad, but like then you're in that like risk of that you know like one hit wonder territory, right? Like, well, it, and it's really hard on your ego, right? If you've got, done something great and then all of a sudden it's just like you can't do it again. It's just like I, that might be one of the reasons why. Maybe for you, I don't wonder what are you think is that's one of the reasons why I like to do batches. Mm. A batch is the same knife, yeah, because it makes me feel like it's not a fluke. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And you learn a hell of a lot by doing that kind of repetition. Right. Yeah, definitely. It's hard. I I wonder I wonder how much has to do with like age and self-evaluation because when you're younger, you're not self-evaluating at all. No. No. I mean, I don't know, shit. I was so full of like, you know, self-doubt and uh probably over over critical evaluation to the point where I like put myself into a corner a lot when I was younger um you know trying to trying to live up to some you know idea that you know I imagined was expected of me uh but then you get older and I mean I find like the age thing I've been getting is just clarity of thought like I can yeah. I can just sit and think about things without being um, you know, without getting bored too quickly, let's say, or without being distracted too easily, um, and planning ahead and all those kind of things, they just get so much easier. It's, I, I don't know if it's because I've done more of it or if it's just some sort of biological change that comes with age, but yeah, I agree, man. Get, I mean, it, I, I like getting older. I'm, I'm digging I like this. getting older too. Yeah. yeah. I'm was I when I was younger I was way more arrogant. I was too I was angry and arrogant. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it had to do with the fact that my father was, you know, he tra- he trained me to be arrogant and angry. Like he literally trained me. I mean, it was like it was it it and I, it if if I didn't make changes, there's no way I'd still be married to my wife. There's no way. There's no way. Huh. I was too 
too uh, I was too self-absorbed and I was unwilling to accept criticism and I was unwilling to to say I don't know and I was unwilling to learn I was unwilling to just be like hey that's cool let me figure it maybe I should learn how to do that or I was unwilling to I was I was unwilling unwilling to do a lot of things yeah and and now I feel like I just I'm I'm I'm, I'm I accept I accept and I, I accept it and I feel like I'm a happier person yeah acceptance I think I, I can relate to that too for sure for sure, yeah. That must have been, I think, for you, when you started knife making as a full-time career, do you feel like you were more anxious or like you were less anxious? I mean, when I, so when I started knife making, I was, I was coming off of a couple of failures. And so when you're coming off of a failure, you, you certainly have hope that things are going to work out, but you've also got this sense that like, it probably won't. So maybe don't get your hopes up too much. You know what I mean? And then all the people around you have bought in on a couple of your past projects, but they kind of got, you know, let down, even if they didn't let you know, like, you know, Hey, I know you're going to succeed at guitar making. This is great. You know, you go for it. We got your back. And then if that doesn't work out, then you kind of feel like, fuck, I don't want to hype this up too much, you know, because if I start telling everybody, Hey, look, it's the next new thing. And this is going to be the one that makes it. Then, well, first you put them in an awkward spot because, like, now they feel like, okay, I hope this one works. And, and then, then everyone the fake thinks smile you're full or whatever, of, you know. And then everyone thinks you're full of shit because every five That's minutes it. you got something new. So, the, so when I started the knife making, the, the, the big difference that I felt right away was I didn't feel like this is going to, this is doomed for failure. I, I, I had none of those thoughts, but I was very cautious. I was very careful. I didn't want to hype it up too much. I didn't want to go around telling everybody, hey, look, I'm a knife maker now. It was like, no, I'm just going to fucking put my head down and I'm just going to work as hard as I can on this without like advertising it too much to everybody that I know. And and, and I'm just, I'm not going to like, you know, be too hopeful, but I'm not going to shit on it and doom it from the start. I don't know. Like I had to try to find this like new approach partly because I'd come off with like, you know, a few failures essentially. Right. Um, but but that you need those failures in order to kind of reassess and, and make your decisions on how you're going to do it this time. Oh, 100%. If I hadn't had those failures before I started knife making, I don't think it would have gone the same. No. Yeah, I kind of needed those, you know. And, and like, you know, failure is one of those things that when you hear the word failure, you're like, oh, so something that just really didn't work out. But a failure is such an amazing learning opportunity. So th- those failures were were fantastic in a way. I mean, I'm so glad that I failed at those other things because it allowed me to, you know, succeed at this. Once again, it comes with age. Like you yes. don't really realize totally. that without age. I get worried. I get worried. I get, I don't get worried, but I mean, like I do get concerned at people's expectations in regards to their perceived idea of success. Yeah. And it seems as though, and social media is obviously part of that. I mean, for good and for bad, there's this there's this unreasonable expectation that people put on themselves based on what they see, and based on what. Here's a perfect example. Yeah, 
So if this per- this this is the last week of December of, of of December right last week of the year and I tried to I got everything done a week early so like all my orders for for December I cl- clean slate for this last week so I decided I'm gonna work on the shop I was going to fix this anvil that I had lying around and I was gonna make a hammer and I'm gonna try to finish this knife and I, I wanted this it was just like this idea of like I wanted to get some stuff done for the shop and for me and for my mind and all that. good. Nice. So I got this old anvil and and I I cleaned the corners up. I talked to some friends in regards to what I should do and you know it was very interesting because you know a lot of times when you're fixing anvils you really want to be careful because of the edges and what you're filling the anvil with and what's your intention mm-hmm. or is, is this something you're going to resell or is this and I really kind of went with something that it was something this is going to be my anvil and I just wanted these cracks filled and I wanted this stuff and I didn't get hard top which a lot of guys a hard raw hard facing rod I used MIG I used MIG rod okay, I used uh, mild had, steel yeah. okay. I had used mild steel because I talked to a few people who said look if this is your working anvil a lot of places use mild steel on student anvils because they don't you know you don't want to just be chipping corners all the time right. so if you have to fill it every so often once in a while it's not the end of the world so what and and a lot of anvil enthusiasts would be like, well, that's a sacrilege, and you shouldn't be doing that, and that you should be using hard face rod, and you should preheat the anvil and the the tops hard and steel, and everything. Yeah. And I was just like, well, listen, I'm not. This is my anvil, and I'm not planning on investing, you know, time and energy to get it off the ground. And I mean, it hasn't been used in like. It hasn't been used in probably 40 or 50 years. It, this anvil is crazy because it was owned by, there's a famous ventriloquist and, and comedian in the United States. Her name was Sherry Lewis. And she had, she was known for this sock puppet name, Lamb Chop. And it was like this, she'd make this little baby voice. Well, that rings a bell. The, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a fame. I mean, this is a fame. She used to go on Johnny Carson, all that mm. stuff with this fucking sock puppet named Lamb Chop. So the sculptor who made Lamb Chop, this was her anvil. So my, these okay. people I know in the neighborhood, uh, you know, bought the person, this woman's house and her, her barn and stuff like that. And then she, they wanted to get rid of the anvil and they contacted me and I, I mugged them basically, but that's, that's for another story. I didn't know. They sent me these pictures and I was just like, I'm going to make them something this year. I'm going to fix it. I'll fix it up for them. They, they gave me bad pictures and I, I lowballed them and they said, fine. And I was like, okay, great. And I saw the anvil. And I was like, whoa, I mugged these people. I'm going to take care. I'm going to take care of them. I'm going to take care of them. So in my mind, I'm thinking I just want to fix this to be able to be useful because the corners were so fucked up, you couldn't you couldn't incise anything, you couldn't really make it happen. So okay. I just after talking to a few people, I was like, I'm going to use the MIG wire and and just like and if I need to fix it in the in it's a, if I need to fix it later, I'll hit it with the MIG wire and again and it'll be fine. Right. I got so many people in my DMs saying to me, "What did you use?" How do I do it? Sending me pictures of their anvils. I need to do that. What would you suggest? All of a sudden, it's just like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. I didn't want to I didn't want to be anvil man. Right. I didn't want to be like, this is what you're supposed to do. I'm Jeff Fader, and I'm planting the fag flag on this, what you should do. I was just like, I don't know what you should do because every anvil is different. Some are cast, some are wrought iron. Mine was wrought iron. I talked to a few people, and it said you'll be fine. You might have to hit it a couple more times, but it'll be fine. It became interesting to me because there was this expectation of not let's just figure out what to do. It's fix my problem now. I need this fixed now, Mm. and you're the guy who's going to fix it for me. Right. And I feel like sometimes with – that was a long story to get to the point where I feel like – we're so connected in this community and it's really great, but there's 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 a lot of lack of willing to be comfortable struggling. Hmm. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, I, I think that, you know, back to, I mean, back to the age thing, I think there's, there's that, that's a factor for sure. I mean, you're probably getting a lot of messages from young guys who, yeah. you know, um, but then there's like, I guess also this sort of just general expectations that, you know, things should happen immediately, you know, that everything should be right at our fingertips. And we're all kind of like, we're all, I guess, guilty of that to a certain extent because we've gotten of so used to having everything we want right away. Um, well, we, we, we juggle, we juggle around with tips. I mean, here back to you, but what you're doing is I think that if there was someone to be a YouTube knife maker or I hate to say YouTube knife maker or a teacher, I would put you up in the high category of being an excellent teacher. Well, and I'll tell you. you why. I'll tell you why. Yeah. Your tips on your Instagram are so clear and so, like I said, well, so you're well spoken, you're clear, you're crisp, you command, you command confidence, and their their tips are fucking solid, really solid. I'm actually going to do uh, the way you do your Y handles, the way you uh, line up your Y handles tomorrow. I was going to try to do it today, but I fucked up something. So, oh, you're going to try it out. Oh yeah, okay. yeah. I wanted to try. I was trying to try to get it done today. I was trying to get it done before we were going to podcast, okay. so I could like talk about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But your 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 ability to like give um, tips and give like instructions. And this is the way I do it, and here's how you do it. And here's, they're so good. They're so good, and it's it's amazing to me because we've created this community where like people like you are generous enough to give tips and show how to do things and stuff like that. You have there, where is our boundaries in terms of like what are we going to tell you? Show you how to do everything? Yeah, or yeah. You know, that's a good. I mean, that's that's a good question. Uh, you know, uh, you, you certainly don't want to give it all away, right? Um, and then you also don't want to make the mistake of teaching before you really know your shit, right? Right. I mean, that's that's always been like my concern. Is like, I mean, I'm not going to be given forge tips for years because, as far as I'm concerned, this I'm nowhere near ready to tell anybody anything about that. Like, I am still full on student mode when it comes to forging making steel and all this kind of stuff but yeah but maybe that's maybe you just did the you know the old uh the riddle of the sphinx maybe you just answered the maybe you were maybe you that's the right answer for i want you to be a teacher maybe you just answered the question <laughs> like that's the riddle of the sphinx you're like you like right. i have no idea what i'm talking about oh you're perfect but you, yeah, you know what i mean you do have to be you do still have to be a student or have the student yeah. mindset in order to do it yeah i mean one of the one of the you know, guys who really inspired me to get into making was actually this guitar builder who I uh, studied with. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, his whole thing was the like the more I learn, the less I know. Like that was really his. I mean, you, you'll talk to yeah. some makers who will say, "No, th- I figured it out. It's like this. You have to do it exactly this way. You know, the braces have to be this thickness and this height and all this kind of stuff." And and he would say, "Well, I made them this way and they were good, and I made them that way and they were good and." So, you know, like he was very humble about everything that he'd learned. And and this is a guy who really, really, really knew his stuff. And he was a fantastic teacher. He would have people come and stay with him for these five-week workshops where you'd build a guitar beginning to end. And I did that, and it was fantastic. And that was what kind of kicked off the guitar-making thing for me. Um, But it also lit a kind of spark in me when it comes to teaching, you know, and, 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 and being able to share the things that you're passionate about in such a way that um that they're available you know to 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 
beginners or people who are more experienced alike, you know, and like just it's all about um, communication, really. And and uh, so this he was like a role model for me in that sense, like the way he communicated things. And also this like he didn't I guess when you're when you're being told how to do something, it's always also nice to know that it's not the only way to do it, that that yeah. you can find your own way to do it, too, that, that you know, this isn't like set in stone. It's not like repeat after me. Um, use this, but then also go and start to try new things and, you know, make your own mistakes and, and, and learn about that. Why, you know, that I was saying before, yeah. like, yeah. it's not just here's the how, but also like, here's how you find the why. Um, so yeah, but I thank you. That's kind of you to say, I, I mean, I don't really, I, I'm always a little bit, I guess, shy, you could say about sharing knowledge because you're, you know, there's always a chance somebody's going to come back to you and be like, that's not how you do it. That's totally wrong or whatever. But so far I've been lucky. I guess maybe it's the way that I'm presenting it. You know, I'm not saying here it is be all end all. I'm saying, here's how I do it. Maybe this will help you. And that's it. Well, you, know? you, you, you also, you also set yourself up as a very, uh, you're, you're, you're extraordinarily humble when you speak to on the camera. Number one, you're crisp and clear. Mm. You're, you're concise, but you're also very humble. You know, like, I, I could would be hard. I would be hard pressed to think that you're getting a lot of people, you know, who are like giving you fritz in the DMs. I mean, because not a lot. Like, no, I mean, you're very, you're very, very like you're easygoing, you're soft spoken. You always say this is kind of the way I do it, but right. you know, maybe if it helps you, cool. But yeah, I, I, I that's always a strange. That's just a strange uh, byproduct of trying to be helpful is not really knowing what's going to come back at you afterwards, right? Yeah, well, I mean, anytime you kind of like profess to know something, you're asking for somebody to contradict you, right? Yeah. Ah, I fucking don't want it. I don't want it at all. I'll be honest with you. Knife talk to me is is so much fun because it's like I feel like I'm, I, I'm helping create a, like a Z Morning Zoo situation. Like I, I'm trying to make it like a real radio show. Well, you, and yeah, you but it's like I do not want to be Mr. Fucking. I know what the fuck I'm talking about. I'd rather tell a joke and make Craig laugh. Be honest with you. Well, you that's know, like that's all I want to do. That's a very necessary role to fill as well. I mean, shit, we all need a laugh. I mean that's it. I mean this is this whole this whole podcasting thing. I think that the interesting thing too is like I've been asked to like help people with their podcasts. Okay. Like consult and stuff like that. Yeah. And I just kind of I've done this I've done enough of it to, to for people to to just say to people the the real thing is is you have to be you have to really love it. You have to love don't do it because you think everybody else is doing it and I should do it. Right. And don't do it just because you want to hear your own voice. Yeah. You got to try to appreciate where it comes from, you know, where, you know, keeping the, in my mind, it's always been, and this is something that I've, I, you know, I talk about a lot is when growing up in New York city by myself, basically my, my parents were divorced. My dad and his wife didn't really want me around and my, and my mother was kind of trying to get her life together. And I mean, the, the radio was my companion. So I always appreciated being felt what I would hate is, and, and this is something that a lot of, uh, people who have solitary jobs i would I, mean, I wonder if what you think about this is there's this thing that i've, I've been thinking about a lot in a lot of, in terms of solitary and I, I talk about podcasts keeping you company right yep but one thing I, I when i was a kid i hated being homesick i hated i hate being homesick was one of the worst feelings of all time but mm. worse than that was being homesick in your own home do you know what i mean mm. You know that feeling? You mean where when you say homesick? You mean like home from school because you have a cold? Or do no, you mean homesick, homesick is in, in like missing something. 
missing home. Missing home. Like you're you maybe you're away, you're at somebody's house or you're at summer camp mm-hmm. or you're someplace that you're not and you feel like you feel a little bit out of control, you get this strange feeling in your stomach, you miss your family or you miss your home or sure. you miss something. It's it's you know, call it homesick. Right. And when you're homesick, it's terrible. But when you're homesick in your home, it's even worse because you have this feeling of unease. Well, you yeah. know, that's where depression set. I mean, sure. that's the beginning of stages of depression. You're missing something and that's not, not there that should be there. You're missing something that you shouldn't be missing because you're there, mm. you know. And the radio for me was that was the thing that kind of got me through it. And and um, I think that it's when you're solitary. And I wonder, do you ever have problems when you're at your shop and you're all alone? And sure. do you ever have problems with like... You know that homesick feeling, or well, I don't know if, if homesick. I don't know if if maybe I see that you know term as the same as you, but but um, I don't know. I, I I think I have a good sense of where my home is. I kind of like always have, and it's always more yeah. or less resided with people who I cared about. And so, um, but but the solitary part of it, uh, I mean. Yeah, uh, you know, it, that's one of the hardest things about doing this kind of job, I think. And, and I mean, like, when you first start, it, it's it's not just working by yourself. It's also trying to develop the discipline to work for yourself, right? When you right. work for yourself, it's it's a completely different thing than working for somebody else um, and then doing it all alone. I mean, there's so many times when I've wanted to bring someone else into the shop, like, just to have that companionship, just to have somebody else to chat with every once in a while um yeah i mean and like like either as like a partner as a shop mate or whatever like some of the guys who uh did the guitar school at the same time that i did ended up opening their own shop and they have like a co-op and i'm so jealous of their space because they have all the great tools that you could possibly want because they all contribute to purchasing and maintaining the tools right they've got like the big shop room and then they all have their own individual workspaces that are sort of like you know separated but but all contained within the same space and so i mean i just like i would love to do something like that for knife making you know where you have access to even more than what you would have on your own because you've pooled your resources and then you've got that like support thing where you know you get to like you know, it's you sharing tips with each other and, you know, complimenting each other and, you know, criticizing whatever, you know, like, but you're getting a lot out of having other people around doing the same thing. Um, and I think that, you know, in a lot of ways, like that's what Knife Talk or this podcast does for people in their shop is it makes them feel a little less alone and they get the chance to hear about stories or comments or thoughts for other people who are doing similar things. And so, yeah, podcast is an amazing way to do that. I mean, I can totally understand why the radio had such a, you know, an impact on you when you were younger. I, keep, I mean, it kept me company. But yeah. going back to what you were saying about those shared spaces, those shared spaces can be tough because yeah, there was yeah. one, there was one in New York that was, uh, it was almost like a gym. Okay. And you could get a membership and then you could use it, everything like that. And it fell up. I think the guy like left in the middle of the night and it just folded and it was kind of a disaster. I think probably insurance reasons. It was probably a disaster too. Yeah. I don't know. I, 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 I have, I was in a shop. My first shop was with my college roommate, Jamie Montgomery. He actually, I interviewed him two, a year and a half when I first started okay. and we had a shop together. And it was great because he was my friend and he was helping me pay the rent and we were working together and sometimes we would work together and stuff like that. But it it became like there was a little bit 
it was it was it was I was susceptible to hey let's throw some darts or uh-huh, hey you uh-huh. know what maybe we should have beer for lunch today you know <laughs> right, it's like right, yeah. you know and all of a sudden it's just like a, I I can't I can't see myself working with other people yeah I mean Again. I think it's probably more or less just a fantasy for me as well yeah. because I I do realize that when like whenever like in my new shop now it's in this little town and so when I first moved in people would stop by some people who I knew some people who were like you know friends of people I knew mostly it's older people who live in the town but like you know they're curious who's this guy working in the sh- in the shop and at first it was like oh this is so great people pop in for visits I get to like have little chats oh. with people and they're interested in what I'm doing and stuff and that lasted for like a couple of weeks and then I was realizing okay I have to find ways to cut conversations short so that I can get back to work because it's like yeah I mean, it's nice to have a little bit of an interruption every once in a while but at the same time like if you start fucking up my flow then that that's not good you know when i'm in a zone i don't want any interruptions at all so it can be very scary when somebody just shows up in your shop and you're like heavily into like onto a grinder or doing something and yeah you 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 notice that there's no one in your shop no one's ever in your shop and then all of a sudden you turn they're like right there staring there with with a smile it's usually like impressed you know like they snuck up on you and it's and it's like i'm here and i always jump i've always jumped every shop i've ever been in I've when somebody's like right there and I, or I'm welding and then I open t- I take the mask off and someone's right there I always jump yep. I always jump because yep. I get so invested in what I'm doing and I, I fucking hate it I yep. fucking hate it yeah so the shop Do you, the shop that I moved into the 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 guy who was w- the woodworker there for years is a close friend of the family and his thing was if you come into the shop just flick the lights on and off so when I was a kid I if I like too. came into the shop I'd just go just flick the light you know are off and on and then he would know that somebody was there and then i just like wait for him to like finish passing that board through the table saw or whatever the hell it was like don't go over and stand next to him like hey how you doing um and so he does the same thing for me now because he's still doing he does photography he's got a printing thing upstairs so so we still share the shop space but and he does the same thing for me he'll come in and he'll just flick the light on and off so that i know he's there and that's a pretty like what a nice rela- it's not too it doesn't interrupt too much you know it doesn't make you jump out what a screen. nice relationship you have with him oh it's really great i mean like my first the first job i ever had was in that shop he hired me to sweep the floors so i was like in the shop that you're in now yes i was like eight yeah. years old and i'd come in on saturdays after he'd just been you know making sawdust all week long because he did all this custom cabinetry and furniture and stuff and i'd go in and sweep up the mahogany and i'd sweep up the pine and i'd sweep up the oak put it in bags and i'd take it outside um and so that was that was like my first job he hired me to do that and uh so i've yeah i've known him my whole life and uh How- yeah how does that shop that shop must feel very special oh, it to you feels then. it feels like home to me i mean so he he and my father both worked in that space for years um and my father had various businesses that he was doing but one of the biggest ones he was making wooden screen doors so he was manufacturing his screen doors out of that shop and then um cutting boards for a while they were doing these really nice end grain cutting boards and most of this time i was living in toronto or living in montreal i mean i'd come back and visit whenever i came back i'd go and you know check neil's out in the shop and see how he was doing and um but you know it was always like home to me i have so many memories of this place uh and when neil's retired which was just a couple years ago i i got in touch with him and i said like if you do want to sell the place at some point i hope you'll you know consider mentioning it to me because i would like to 
hold on to it because it means something to me. And yeah. we got t- talking about it and he, he was just saying like, well, what, what would you do just out of curiosity? Like, how would you use the space kind of thing? And so I kind of pitched to him or, you know, explained to him how I imagined using the space. And he just kind of said, well, why don't you just do it? Like, you don't have to buy the building. I mean, we can get, we'll get there at some point, I guess, but why don't you just come in and use the space? So I thought, okay, well, you know, so I took a few months and got the space ready. And when it was ready, I just switched everything over and, you know, we just share the expenses of the building basically, but it's like a super amicable, you know, it's really nice. Like I'll come in in the morning and I'll have a quick chat with him and we'll talk about what we're doing and I'll head downstairs and get to work. And that's sometimes that's the only time I'll see him in the whole day. But, um, but we're sharing the space and he likes having somebody in the space again too, because ever since he stopped doing the woodworking, the shop's been kind of just sitting there quiet and he wants to see it, you know, being used alive. So it's alive again now. But that's crazy yeah. that like, I mean, you've been there since you were eight. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it, and it isn't, it isn't like your, your, your parents shop. I mean, it's like some place that you just been, yeah, it's, that's it's gotta a be a very room. remarkable. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, it's not an ideal space. I mean, I think honestly, if it wasn't a space that I loved as much as I do, I yeah. probably wouldn't have considered it. So you know, as like a, as a shop, because it like when I moved when I first got there I, to to look at it, I thought, okay, what have we got? There's no cell reception. There's no internet. There's no plumbing. There's no sink. There's no toilet. Uh, the heating is pretty lousy. The floors are wonky as hell, and every square inch of the place is impregnated with like highly flammable sawdust. So like. Is this an ideal metalworking shop? Fuck no. <laughs> you know, this is like the the last place that anybody who was just considering things from a very practical level would have chosen. But um, I wasn't so concerned with that. I just wanted to make it work. I wanted it to, you know, I wanted to this to be my shop. Yeah. And so we, you know, yeah. we figured out how to, you know, we fixed all those things. We came, we overcame all the all the obstacles, and so now it's good. That's amazing. That's that that really kind of makes that makes it makes you know the shop is really kind of a, what you put into it really mm-hmm. so to to be able to have that kind of backstory of of you kind of growing up in that shop it must give you a little bit extra energy did you when you kind of put it the shop together did you keep some of the layout the way you remember yeah or? so what was actually you know great was that we managed to essentially preserve the wood shop I- intact so he had uh, at when he was at his height of his production he had built an addition to the wood shop that was his seasoned wood storage and he had a lot of wood that he always had on hand and we whatever was left we emptied it out we sold some of it we re- relocated the rest and, th- and that shop space is where my shop is so i haven't taken over the the main wood shop i've i've kind of kept things a little bit more contained than i might have otherwise liked to but it's still bigger than what i had before and it means that I have this separate section that's entirely the metal shop. And then there's a like a shed outside that I've repurposed as a as a forging area, which is connected. So that's kind of perfect. I don't really need the forging area to be heated. I mean, it gets hot enough right. pretty quickly once you start running sure. the forge. So, so the wood shop, we went through, cleaned the 40 years of sawdust out of it and uh, threw out a whole bunch of stuff that was, you know, shops collect stuff, obviously. So it's like a brand new shop again, but it's so functional so anytime i have any woodworking stuff to do it's right there so so yeah it's it's so i have a basically access to this full woodworking shop right next to the knife making shop and so there's a lot of potential that you know a lot of a lot of stuff could come out of that shop 
so that's nice to know. How are you? How are you feeling? Like your production is in the new shop versus your old shop? Well, it's better. I mean, it's it's definitely better. Um, one of the things that helped a ton is in the last is it three or four months, basically, in order to get ready for Christmas, as everybody knows, this is like our best time of year, right? We try to make as much as we possibly can. Yes. Um, so my folks offered to help out with my son, who's just turned three. And I usually, he, he, I would have to pick him up at 4.30 every day, which really kind of squishes the amount of work hours. So I'd like, I'd have to drop him off at 8.30 and I'd have to pick him up at 4.30 and everything had to be in between those hours. So my, my folks offered to pick him up and keep him for two hours. So I got an extra two hours every day. So I was working from, you know, I was basically working 10 hour days every day and it was amazing. I felt like I'd been let off leash, you know, like I felt like finally I could put in the amount of time to growing this and to, to making that I really wanted to. And like, I, I would, I never ended the day feeling like, damn, I wish I had more time. Like I would always end the day going, this is perfect. Okay. I'm running out of gas just as I'm running out of time kind of thing, you know? So the last like three, four months, it's been fantastic. My, my production has been like, you know, higher than it's ever been. Um, and I don't know if that's going to continue forever, but it's nice to know the family's there to kind of lend a hand when I need it. You know, like January, February, it's usually not the busiest time of year for us. So, um, probably won't need busy. You mean for the company or for Yeah. Like January, February is usually not a very busy time for, for me basically for, for Vashon knives. And so, um, I don't mind if I, my hours get a little bit reduced during that period, but but it's been it's been nice to see like you know scaling a business like this and it's actually one of the things I was interested in talking to you about because you had a great sure. conversation uh, with Josh Smith about how he grew his business into something fantastic and phenomenal but like the question of how do you scale a craft business like this it's tricky right I mean you feel like at a certain point you've gotten to your maximum output right like we're all bottlenecked by how much we can make essentially as single people as like working in a shop. And so I had always felt like I'd sort of already reached that ceiling, but then by getting just an extra two hours a day, it, it really like pushed the ceiling up quite a bit. And, uh, so that was like nice to see that, Oh, actually I'm not maxed out on that yet. There's always ways that you can get a little bit more efficient or, um, you know, make a little bit more output and that'll have a big impact on how your business is doing. So, but I mean, do, what about you? How many hours a day do you work? Well, I mean, I get here, it depends. I mean, a lot of it is, especially with, with, uh, with my kid and with things. I mean, I put in at least eight hours at right. least. Okay. And I've been more efficient in the past four months and in, in my forever. Nice. Like, Physically, physically, I feel a million times better. A lot of it's because I've been doing, I've been working out a lot. That's good. And the working out has in the morning has given me like an incredible amount of energy. The other thing is, is I'm not doing as much. I mean, this week because lifting the anvil every five minutes, like I'm a little bit sore. But usually, I'm not like lifting anything heavy or I'm not doing any major stuff. So, I physically this the past four months is the best I felt in a long, long time. Um, the Josh Smith thing is really interesting. And a lot of it, I believe, you know, I talked to Josh before he started 
uh, Montana Knife Company. Mm-hmm. He and I used to talk every so often. He, t- he used to call me. I said in the pod, he used to call me from his fucking truck in the middle of nowhere waiting for his crew to right, show up. Yeah. And he was he would ask me about my business. He was listening to Knife Talk. You know, I was talking about my business partner, Tony, and we were talking about it. And what I had said to him was, he said, well, what's the arrangement with the business partner? Yeah. And I said, well, I said, it, it's... Um, I mean, you can have different arrangements. You can have, you know, a guy who's the money guy who says, I'm going to be your business partner. I'm here's, you know, $100,000. And then all of a sudden, he's that's your business partner. Or you can have like a managing partner, which is I have, which is he neither he hasn't put any money into the business, but he does a lot. He does a lot. Right. And what I said to him was like, well, the most important thing is, is I'm getting an extra pair of eyes. Like, I know what I can do, mm. but I only know what I can do based on what I see. Yeah. Like without another pair of eyes, it's it's hard to imagine what you can do, especially with someone who has a little bit of business uh, acumen. Right, which your partner which, clearly does. Yeah, he's a smart guy, he's a smart guy, and and I made the I made the commitment, not the just I made a commitment. A lot of it was because, you know, you were talking about how when you started the knife company, you were worried about, you know, I had other failed things and I wanted to make sure that I wasn't like a laughing stock. Well, I was the same way. Yeah. I was, I was working in metal shops and then I was doing sculpture on the side and I had galleries and I was having success with galleries and I was having epic failures with galleries and I hated it. And, and I, I, when I started doing the knife making, I I specifically didn't want to tell my wife about it because I didn't want her to think I was crazy. <laughs> yes. Like, I didn't want her to think, oh, I'm going to be a knife maker now. Uh-huh. She's going to roll her fucking eyes. <laughs> like, now what? So I, like, I had gotten, like, 15 knives out the door and a stack of cash, and I said, this is what I've been doing, and this is what I'm going to be doing, and here's the orders I have coming up. And it was, like, it was really kind of shut up or whatever, but, but, but in order for her to... In order for her to agree that it was going to work, I said, "Listen, I know that I I sucked at business. I sucked as a as a, my own advocate as an artist. I sucked at this. I sucked at that. I'm going to address my shortcomings and f- and fix them with someone who I believe has great business sense and I trust, right. and they're going to be an asset. And I'm it's going to be able to see this through from a different view uh, focal point. Brilliant. And I, it was it was a long time to get hit." Tony to Tony to sign on. I mean, I'd known him forever. I'd known him for twenty years. We worked. We worked in a restaurant. He was the chef, and I was the general manager. And the reason why I wanted him is because we were working in parallel. Without, I'm not checking up on him. He's not checking up on me. We both know the. We both know the goal, and we were both working side by side without having to like. It was a trust situation. Right. Right. That's important. Yeah. But it took a long time for him to agree, and we had to do. We did partnership agreements, and we had lawyers involved, and we got. And I, I wanted to make it happen, and it's the best thing that ever happened to me. So the thing to me is that you know, efficiency, physical efficiency, is one thing. Like, yes, you can only pump out so many knives, and then okay, well, what am I going to do? I'm not going to use this grinder anymore, so maybe I should take up the labor, and I'll get my everything water jet cut. Right. Okay, and then let's talk about who. How can I cut time if I can't get somebody to work for me? How can I get some of the labor cut away? And then you figure out different ways. What what is interesting about Josh and Josh is different than almost every other knife maker. And I said to him that like I I put there's him and Bob Kramer in terms of like this rocketing of success as a master bladesmith. Yeah. He found a niche that is so far more interesting, and they're so they're the 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 Montana Knife Company is like it it's 
catered to hunters. It's catered to this CrossFit world. He's got a lifetime of of hunting, but this new style of hunting where it's like you got to, you know, like Steve uh, Ranella from uh, Meat Eater and Joe Rogan and all these like they're younger athletes. They train and it's not just about shooting the animal, but it's packing it out. And can you carry it for miles on the end? And it's it's much more of a different style. It's a much more younger style and these people are just they're ravenously for him Mm -hmm. you know it's different than the chef knife game yeah i think that's. it's like it's totally different he's done something that a lot because we know a lot you and i know a lot of knife makers who make hunting knives but they're not in this i mean he's in the whatever your you know binocular company he's going to be in that he's in this group now of like He's created he's created a niche, and it has to do with his his business partner Brandon, who identified that. I mean, Josh, great. I love Josh. Josh didn't come up with Josh, Josh didn't figure out this marketing strategy, right? You yeah, know? so that's right. You got to find somebody who who can make up for the areas that you're a little uh, shadowy about. You know that you don't have. Uh, like I said, I mean, knife makers and business uh, school graduates. Uh, there's not a lot of overlap, but. Josh is more is the most interesting to me because he's also not a poser. Yep. Like he's not a guy who's making knives and then deciding to make a hunting knife because it'll sell. He's been a hunter his whole life. Right. You know, he's he's he didn't just buy all this fucking camouflage and like, you know, snorkels and shit. I mean, he well, I don't know if he uses snorkel <laughs> hunting, but whatever. Yeah. I mean, you, know, you know what I'm yeah, saying? Well, he's doing what he knows, though. Right. He's not. Yeah, he's he's, he's in this lifestyle. Yeah. He's in this lifestyle. They fucking hunt. His whole family hunts. Yeah. They go on these long trails and they know all about like, I mean, I, I was listening to him. He was a he did a great job with uh, Andy Stumpf on um, coming hot, coming in hot. No, coming in hot. Cleared oh, okay, hot. Coming in hot. Cleared hot. They, and they're talking about hunting. Right. And when you hear Josh talk about hunting, he understands, wow, the deer, they'll smell you three miles away. And I I knew that the wind was coming off my back. And I'm like, oh, it's, it's scared. I mean, he he understands this from like this molecular level. Yeah. You know, it's it's a perfect fit for right. him. Yeah. And it's it's he's he's found a niche that is it's amazing and I'm happy for him. And you know, listen, the funny thing is is like he and I don't share the same politics at all. But I mean I love talking to him. He's a great guy. He's a he's he and I have talked, had long conversations. He actually was one of my only the only people who ever called me when my wife was really sick. He was I mean he, I, I couldn't thank him enough. He was like he was calling me every other day saying, How's she doing? What's going on? and blah blah blah. He's an extraordinary guy, and what he's doing now, I just like I wish, I hope for him that the, I hope, and I I'm 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 hoping that the scale up goes the way he wants it to go. Right. That's all right. I know. Well, I, polit- politics should never get in the way of you know. No, of course. Well, see, that's the thing. That's the thing that people need to realize. The people need to realize that we can just you know we don't need to we don't need to be exactly the same to be friends. No, you know, no. and it's and it's but it's like I love talking about him because. I saw it for, I mean, it's such a meteoric rise. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, it's like, I mean, well, I mean, it's not like he came from nowhere, obviously. The guy no. the guy was like one of the youngest master bladesmiths ever, I think, right? Wasn't he? Yeah. And like, and he's been yeah. around Still for, forever, day. right? So, yeah. Yeah. When I say meteoric rise, I'm talking about Montana Knife. Yeah. yeah. You know, Montana Knife Company is a meteoric rise. For sure. But it's, it's appropriate. Like he's, I mean, 
you want to talk about the figurehead behind that company. You have a master bladesmith, the youngest master bladesmith in ABS history. Plus, he's a lifelong hunter. Right. He didn't just pick this up just yeah. five minutes ago. I think it's great. I, I think it's. I think it's. I think that it's going to be. I think that a lot of people are going to use him as an example, but they're not going to realize how hard it is to. I mean, he hit the bullseye in terms of the marketing and right. the, the 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 ravenous, the ability to. He's trying to figure out the ability to feed this ravenous client base that is not easy to find. Is not easy to find at all. But it's that. The right partner is really what had to do with him being able to do a lot of this, right? I mean, having that he, and right he, business Well, partner. he was willing to listen. Right. Sure, of course. He was willing to... I mean, that's the, that's the hardest part about for an entrepreneur. And I don't like even really say the word entrepreneur. It's just... But <laughs> for, for a single person trying to become uh, successful at what they're doing, the hardest part is to let go of... You know, let someone else do something for you. You've yeah, done that of course. before, or, or you've had somebody help you do something, and you're just like, "It's not the way I wanted it," or "Or this isn't really how I want it." But when you have like somebody who's going to be your business partner, you have to like, you have to have a degree of faith. Yeah, you have to you welcome know? their input. Yeah, and it's, it's so to. hard to to not think that you know absolutely everything that you need to know about your business, and like you know that there's no way anyone could have a better idea of how this could go. I mean. That's like what happens when you've been the only guy driving for the last five years or six years or whatever. You you can't help but feel like I can't hand this off to somebody else. I can't trust anyone else's eyes on this, you know? But you, yeah, well, you do have to let that go. And the hardest part is finding that right person to make that right fit. That's it. You yeah. know, that's the that's hardest it, part. Yeah. It's interesting for me and Tony because we've been together now for, for Fader Knives for at least five or six years. I really don't take count anymore yeah. but i mean exactly but this is the first year where we've been able to make a change based on i would i came up with something that i wanted to fool around with and we've been mulling it over and then we just kind of pull the trigger and now it was it was a change that he saw would be where we need to go based on the statistic based on the data of where our sales were coming from and based on how people were buying and what we're, what's missing with our traction or what's working, what's not working. And it, it took it took him to say, here's I like what the, the, where this is going with the color labs is perfect. And it, and it prevents, you know, it's it's your, your it's your own thing and blah, 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 right. blah. This is how we need to do it in order for it to work. And December was our best month ever. Ever since I started this business. Wow. Well, I mean, it was a lot of work. I mean, there's a lot of work to get there. I mean, a lot of nights of, a lot of nights, a lot of meetings, lots of, I mean, a lot of, I mean, it was a lot of hard work, but you're, but I'm willing to not, he's not my, he's not my employee. Right. He's your partner. You know, yeah. and if he, the only time we've ever had a real fight, this is the stupidest fight of all time. We were talking about getting t-shirts made. I hate making t-shirts because it's like, it's a first, it's a loser's bet. I mean, t-shirt, the t-shirt game is like. It's all, it's all fucking not, it's for nothing. Yeah. I mean, anybody thinks, I mean, unless you're Von Dutch, you're yeah, not going to be making, no. no, you're losing, you're losing your shit, you're, you're, you're paying, you're, it's, you're evening out or whatever. Mm -hmm. And he said to me, I said, okay, next time, I, I said, I don't give a fuck about these t-shirts. Next t-shirt, you can pick the colors. And he goes, okay, I want red with gold sparkles. <laughs> and I said, 
we're not doing that. We're not going to. I mean, we're not going to. We're going to have to pay. We're going to have to pay more for this. For that to print with and that was the yeah. only time we ever got. And he never lets me forget about it. And his mom heard me talk about it, and she, his mom calls me up and she says, "You know, Tony says you should get the red spark, the red shirt with the <laughs> gold sparkles." And I'm all in. I'm like, "Okay, great." Now I got Tony and his mom all over me with this fucking. But shit. in hindsight, do you think that standing your ground was probably the right move? I, you know what, the mer- standing my ground. I mean, it was a nothing thing. Sure. I mean, it was like I don't see. You know, we were fooling around. I mean, if, if he can find a place that can make a red but, shirt with gold sparkles, be my right, guest. Okay. You know, it's. But at the same time, it's like I, I've really made sure. I mean, we have we have slight issues about direction sometimes, but never like. I mean, he's never like slamming his f- fist and saying, you know, you never listen to me. There's never any sure. of that. And I and I go but I when I listen to what he says, I listen to what he says, and I listen to what he says, and I go with the mindset of he's your partner for a reason, and I've never he's never really steered me down a wrong path, and we have a trust thing though, and it, it's tough, yeah, but we had a relationship the scalability thing, yeah. the scalability things is 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 hard, and I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that. Maybe this you shouldn't think about this as art. Maybe you shouldn't think about it as you're this struggling artist. Maybe you shouldn't think about yourself as this delicate genius. Maybe yeah. you should figure out a way to make this this idea really be a a real business as opposed to all right, we, we pay the bills and you know there's a little bit extra on the side or you know you know my wife thinks I'm a goofball or whatever right. or that expression you know you know that expression is, is behind every knife maker is a woman with a wife with That's a business very true very true I mean it's true it's true but at the same time it's like there are ways in which to to be you know an adult about it yeah and I think it really depends on how you define success, right? It's like what you were mentioning before, like what is what does success mean as, as a knife maker? And I think it can mean very, you know, different things to different people. When I went into it, I thought, okay, success is I can keep doing this. Like I can make enough money that I don't have to stop doing this to do something else. Like that right. was it. That's success right. for me, which is a pretty low bar. But I mean, you... I also wanted to have something I felt like I could potentially hit and it seemed pretty high at the time. You know what I mean? So, but now as I'm, okay, I'm kind of like past that point. I'm like, okay, I feel like I can keep doing this. I'm making enough with this that I don't have to go find another job or like switch to doing this part time or any of that, you know, stuff like that. That part's been settled. But then it's like, okay, so what? Cause of course we're never, we're never happy just sitting on what we got. We want, we want to like grow things and of learn course. more and, you know, inspire ourselves and, and, you know, try new things. And to me, like learning is always the most exciting thing that I can do. And so if I can say, well, now it's not just stay afloat, uh, you know, so that I don't have to find another job, but it's, I can, I can keep what I have going and now start adding, learning new, learning new things to it that will eventually change what I have to offer. Um, and still be able to keep doing this like that that's sort of like where i've been for the last year and a half let's say 2 years in terms of that's how i define success to that point right so now i feel like i'm at a new stage or at the beginning of a new stage where i have to sort of redefine what success is to me once again hmm. you know how is it is it about growing the business is it about selling more knives is it about making fewer knives but making them exceptionally nice but then having to charge a lot more for them you know like there's that weird balance that you're always trying to figure out and i think it's still that artist versus businessman thing um that you know all creative people are constantly being you know tugged by 
Um, and I think you found a really good balance. I think that you found a way to express yourself and be creative while still making sure you've got your eye on, you know, the growth of the business and having that, having a business partner has clearly helped with that. Oh, you know? couldn't have done yeah. it. Couldn't have done without it. Yeah. Well, speaking of success, you must have felt success being in Blade Magazine this year. That was cool. I got to say, that was very cool. I mean, when I when I first started making knives, you know, of course, I got a subscription to, to Blade and started soaking all that stuff up. And uh, definitely, although I may, I think I wrote it down, actually. I wrote it down. And I used to write down these, like, one-year, two-year, five-year, you know, goal things when I first yeah. started. And definitely on one of those lists was to like get featured in blade magazine and at the time i had like no idea how do you even go about doing that like how does one even end up in those pages right um and you know it's not that it's not that complicated but um but <laughs> come on don't 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 take the the, the mirror down. no I mean, no we gotta, well, <laughs> what do you mean it's not that difficult well i just mean that um you just have to kind of keep your head down and keep working and doing good stuff. And eventually it'll happen, I guess. It's like that. I mean, it wasn't like I yeah. went out and was like, my goal is to be in Blade Magazine. I'm going to do whatever the hell I have to do to get there. Like it was just sort of like a secondary, you know, thing in the back of my mind. But, but yeah, it was great. It was good. It was like a milestone and we need those milestones. We need to like have those moments where we can kind of go, okay, good. So like I can check that off the list, you know, um, make sure there's something else a little further down the list to be looking forward to as well. But but it's nice to to yeah, it was great. It was really cool. Yeah. You know what's cool is I I I remember getting the magazine and sending you pictures because I don't think you got it. No, yet. I don't. I still don't have it. I I you know what? No, well, so I was getting the the print subscription for years, and then I eventually was like, maybe I don't need to be getting this every month. Maybe I'll just get the digital, and then. But you know, of course, when you when I first started, I would like every every. Every edition that came out, every issue that came out, I would like flip through and be like, am I in there? Am I in there? Is there any chance that I might be in there? And of course, like, well, how would they have any pictures of my work? I haven't had any professional photos done yet. It's like, oh, okay, so I got to take professional photos. But anyway, at a certain point, I kind of was like, ah, maybe I just won't keep the subscription up, you know? I, and, and then, boom, <laughs> then I ended up getting it. So. Well, you know, you, you can call them and they'll send you back issues. Can you? Oh, well, that's what I'll do then. Yeah. I tried doing it on the website and I couldn't, I couldn't find a way to no, get no, it no. on the website. But. It's a, it's a, I mean, no offense, Blade Magazine, but it's a little bit of a rinky-dink operation. And they've got some office somewhere. I think there's like a pile of magazines that work through their publishing company. Okay. So like you can call up and then they'll send you how many copies you want. I only know this because when you said, I, I got a message that uh, Lynn Ray had put my watercolor, yeah. his progression of his knife yeah. in the magazine. I was like, look at this shit. I'm in Blade Magazine. Cool. And it was really cool. But but And then I called them up and then they were, they said, oh yeah, you can, uh, you get how many copies you want. And they sent me five copies and I gave one to my mother and oh, okay. And there was Neil Camamore on the cover. She's like, that's not you. And I'm like, yeah, you're fucking, it's not me. It's Neil Camamore for Christ's sakes. But you know what was cool about your issue? Your issue was cool because I was sending you the pictures and stuff yeah. like that and I was posting about it and then James Fleming because I'm in there too, you know, and like, you know, Charlie Lionheart's That's in there right. and all these people that we know. And it was so great. And the next thing you know, Ben Kamen is on the cover of one of the issues and that was you know, the Don wins yeah. on the issues. And it was just like, it has become such an amazing community That's it. that we're all kind of like, especially the chef knife people. It's like, we kind of all know each other and it's, it, you root for each other. Yeah. Yeah. 
And it was so cool seeing the pictures of you in your shop and you're working. And, you know, I was really, really, really happy oh, for thank you. Thank you, man. I was really That's happy great. for you. Well, it's so cool to see Chef Knives particularly getting some attention, right? Because, like, when I first started five, six years ago now, there, you'd flip through Blade Magazine. There were no Chef Knives. You didn't no. see any Chef Knives. And, and that was the thing that I knew I wanted to do. And I thought, okay, so there's not really a space in the knife community, at least not in, like, the Blade community uh blade magazine community for culinary knives it's just not really celebrated at least that's what it seemed like when i first started and that started changing and like well, yeah i think don Wynn was the first guy with a chef knife on the cover wasn't he? yeah he was the first on the cover that, yeah that sort of yeah. definitely marked a change you know and it's nice to see like there's a lot more a lot more focus on culinary knives now so well it is it, it had to be yeah. because you know, I don't think I don't think cook, you know the funny thing is is like we talk about Blade Show, and you know cooks don't go to Blade Show right. or or a very small amount. You know, it's it's people who want EDC knives or hunting knives. Maybe they want to get a collector or they want to get the new Spider Co knife or whatever. So there isn't as many people who actually cook, and it's there's it's it's far more. It's interesting now that Blades realized Blade Blade Magazine Blade Shows realized that we're, you're getting more eyes on the, you know, you're getting more eyes on what's going on. I don't necessarily think that cooks are buying Blade magazine. You know? Yeah, probably I not. <laughs> probably you know? not. But but if you can get more of them to, like, come out to the show or, you know, or just in general for if, if, it's, if it's promoting knife makers making culinary knives, then you're going to see more culinary knives being made, I feel like. Like that, and that means more things available to the consumer, even though they may not know why all of a sudden there are more chef knives available, like handmade chef knives available. I feel like through Blade kind of like nodding, you know, or tipping its hat or whatever, like towards that, you know, it's like, yes, you guys are also part of this and you guys are making, you know, valuable contributions to our community too. That does kind of bolster it a little bit. And you see way more guys making chef knives now. And you'll even see people who were traditionally just working on hunting knives that are starting to make chef knives, you know, and you kind of like, well, there's some more competition out there for me. But there's more just generally more interest in making chef knives, which is it's a good thing overall. You know, It's a good thing. But getting back to Josh Smith, the reason why... It works, Montana Knife Company works for Josh Smith, and he has now like four or five different variations on these hunting knives. And you would think to yourself, if you're just like making hunting knives, why do I need so many variations? Well, he understands how to, you know, skin out or whatever. He knows how they're all very specific to these things. He is very aware of this opportunity. What I find with a lot of knife makers who make culinary knives is a lot of them started out making bushcraft knives and edc knives and then all of a sudden they're just like wait a second the community if the people market, who are buying right. chef knives are like it's 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 like triple the it's triple the market like because now men and women buy knives and there are all sorts of different types of people who buy culinary knives and everybody needs to cut their food with yeah. something you know it's yeah. and it's and you start to see more people making culinary knives but they're not necessarily into it because they like to cook yeah sure i think that's true. you know and, I, and you can kind of tell i think when you look at a, a culinary knife that's made by someone who's mostly made hunting knives you can you can see that um some of the things that they learned in hunting knives don't apply but they're still there like the thickness for instance behind the edge or you know uh where the balance point ends up being or like there's definitely things about uh 
cooking knives that you need to have cooked a good amount in order to understand, I think. Speaking of yeah. cooking, we're now getting ready for, this is coming out on New Year's Eve, this is the end of the year. Do you have any food traditions that you do on New Year's Eve or New Year's Day? Boy. You know, New Year's Eve has never been like a family thing for me. New Year's Eve was always about just getting fucked up with my friends. Like, you know. Yeah, or your wife. Well, yeah, yeah she, she's never, she never wanted to party like the way that I did on New Year's. And so we tend. <laughs> All right. So do you, so you never had any special meals that you liked on New Year's? You're older now. You don't get fucked no, up. No, I don't. It's been a while actually. But you know, I honestly, New Year's was never really, it, I don't know. I never really had like that. Um, where you want to like do the same thing every year, kind of like tradition or or ritual. I don't really have any rituals associated with with New Year's Eve. What do you do? What really? do you have like special food for New Year's? Well, it's for it's not for, my it's not New Year's Eve is 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 always up in the okay. air. Like, New but year's we day. always drink champagne on New Year's Eve. Sure. We're not staying up to midnight. It's just <laughs> not going to happen. If I make it to nine o'clock, it'll be a miracle right, for Christ's right, sake. Right. But. But for New Year's Day, my wife, about when my daughter was younger, my wife started to see, well, not, not my wife, my, always, we would hear of these good luck food seed on the first day of, of, of ah. New Year's. And she got into it. She's like, I want, because she doesn't cook at all. So she's, you know, she's like, you're, I need you to make, you got to start making these things. So like, it is very, very important. We were talking about it last night. I got to go to the grocery store because we have to have, uh, uh, we have to have collard greens, which are for you know money. Okay. We're having black eyed peas or jump uh, hopping johns, not traditional hopping johns. There's a controversy because ho traditional hopping johns should be red beans, and we use black eyed peas. Hmm. We get the I, well, listen. I get her whatever the fuck she wants. The hopping john, I make her the hopping <laughs> john, and then you're supposed to eat twelve grapes. And then you're supposed to have a long noodle, and then you're not supposed to bite the long noodle because the long uh, so the ho like collard greens. It. Okay. Yeah, so if you bite it, that's the the, the noodle is supposed to be about longevity. I so like that. we're gonna do we do we always have the collard greens, and then there's other things. You're not supposed to eat poultry on Christmas on New Year's Day because I guess chickens and fowl walk backwards or they peck backwards <laughs> or they eat backwards and that's not good so you're supposed to eat pork huh. so this is the one time of the year where i'll i'll get some like pork um smoked ham hocks and i'll make collard greens and that's for money and then we eat the 12 grapes for luck and then we're throwing salt over our back and then you know she makes me come to the door a gentleman's supposed to come to the door and the first thing is a gentleman and i come to the front this door. sounds a it's lot a like a production. passover seder Passover, very good, very good. There is, there's no Afi Komen no. at this. But you got event. Prophet Elijah at the door, apparently. There's, there's no Prophet Elijah. Very good. Did you ever go to Passover? Well, I'm, I'm Jewish, so yeah, for sure. You yeah. are. Yeah. I, I used to do Passover. My dad's Jewish, and my, and my, and my mom was Roman Catholic, okay. so I used to do Passover all the time. And I used to be in charge. Did you have to read the as the youngest person? You yeah, for a little the, uh, period there, I was the youngest, and then I got a younger sister, so that helped. But uh, yeah, yeah, the questions for sure. Yeah, the yeah, questions. Yeah. Why do we yeah. do this? Oh, well, I mean, when I think of like ritual food, that's always the first thing that I think of. You know? You oh yeah, like, that's right. Oh, the this bitter. represents the the mortar for the bricks, and this represents the right. tears, and it's like you know. It's very evocative, right? And it sounds like kind of like your yeah. tradition sort of connects to that a little bit. You've got these foods that that represent, you know, different 
different things. Is that all like what this is just like a mishmash of different like cultural well, traditions it, it, that you've put together or what? No, I have no idea, to be honest with you. Um, my wife has found them and we also do this, what she calls an alcohol cake, which is like this bunt cake that's soaked in this like, you know, very soaked in this like rum and there's mm. buttercream and, and then it's deli- it's delicious. But like, and we drink champagne all day and it's, uh, that's to me more fun than anything else because she, my wife really gets into it and then my kid gets into that's it. Awesome. So that's great. That's one yeah. thing. And then uh, there's one thing that we started to do. We did it for Christmas. But I might do it for this fr- fr- um, Fridays. We did these. I, there's a restaurant down in uh, um, New Orleans called Drago's. Okay. And what they do is they'll shell oysters and then put the oysters under the broiler with garlic butter and Parmesan cheese and broil you them. You did that like last week, didn't you? Oh I saw God. I saw on one of your stories, I think you were doing that. The, I'm doing this because uh, Ben Snur called me up today, and he's just like, "I got to talk to you." Because I'm doing, I'm getting oysters. We're doing that, yeah. so he's going to call me on New Year's Eve. I'm going to talk him through uh, New Year's Eve. to talk him through it. That looked, but good. it was like, it's a banger. It's like it's 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 a banger of a recipe, and it's the easiest thing in the world. And if you want to, number one, if you want to get laid, this is the right. shit for you. If you want to impress all your friends and maybe get laid yeah. with them. This is the fucking shit for you, and it's it's just like a bomber. So actually, I got uh, Craig to make them last year, and he started sending me all these messages. Oh my god, I got to get more oysters. This is the best goddamn thing I ever had in my life. And <laughs> so, do the so oysters like actually get stuff. cooked through, or are they? Yeah, oh, they do. Okay. Yeah, so you you open the oyster and then you put it on the you know the cup side with as much of the liquid yep. as possible, and then you just take some butter and a little bit of olive oil and some uh, and some like mashed up garlic and you just chuck it in the microwave for like a minute to just kind of like, yeah soften a little bit uh, warm up the warm soften it up but warm up the uh, cook out a little bit of the uh, acerbicness of the of the uh, okay. garlic, and then you just spoon a little bit on each. But you got to make these like you got to make these like rings so the oyster sits nice and then. You put like a tablespoon on each oyster, shove it under the broiler, and then you look, and then after about three minutes, it starts to sizzle, and then you pull it out, drip some, put some Parmesan cheese on top, put it back in for two minutes just to kind of melt okay. the cheese. It's like, Damn. it's lights out. And when we went to this place called Drago's in New Orleans, we got a tray of them, and then we were like, you've got to give us another three of these trays. <laughs> and we sat there and ate I mean, we ate like four dozen. And we, I, didn't even, I was like, money is no object. I have, have to have, to have more have, of yeah. these. Oh, it was just insane. So I think that I think it is good to to eat during um, eat good eat well during the kind of like the you know the new year and all. Yeah, holidays. well, I love that. Sounds like a really nice tradition. And and you guys seem to eat really well at your house. So be surprised. We're actually. I mean, we've been. Uh, we we're we're, we're, pro- we're we probably are 90% vegetarian. You yeah, you're on like a and new we, diet sort of thing, I think I heard you mention, aren't you? Well, I I stopped. I mean, I stopped drinking right? and I mean, except for like holidays and stuff like that, so I'm not drinking during on the weekends yeah. and I'm kind of saving it up and I lost the pile of weight just by not drinking. Yeah. And I I during coronavirus, I when especially when my wife was sick, I was drinking a lot. And to be honest with you, thank God I was drinking a lot because it's the only reason why I realized that I had COVID-19 in the beginning because I didn't know what the fuck I was drinking. Like I was drinking whiskey and I was just like, I don't know what the fuck this oh, is. You lost and I said to my wife, yeah, was, right. I lost my sense yeah. of taste. I couldn't tell you what it was, you know? And I, when I would take out the recycling bin, it was like just a lot of beer and always a bottle of Jameson. Yeah. Like, every week I'm drinking a whole bottle yeah, of Jameson. What the yeah, fuck? I found myself slipping into that too. Yeah. 
And it was tough, and I stopped, and then I, I didn't say I have a problem, I'm stopping, but it was more along the lines of, why don't you save it up for the time that you want yeah. it? So, like, birthdays or, like, you know, like, you know, we, I got some nice champagne for, for New Year's, and we're going to drink that, and I'm just, I'm just not overdoing it by drinking every, so, like, I'll go months on end without drinking. Well, that's, it's, that's it's, a good way to do it. You enjoy it a lot more when you do, right? It's, mu- it's much better. Feel better. It's much better for yeah. me. And then my daughter wanted to be a vegan, and that kind of didn't really work out very well. We did it. We did a good month of it, and it was just like I was like, "Look, let's just cut the shit. This isn't working, <laughs> guys. I mean, this is. I'll do everything you want me to do. I'll figure out all the recipes in the world, but I mean, this is not right. working, and yeah. no one's happy. Right. We're all miserable. So we stopped that. I mean, but we eat pretty much plant based. I'd say six days six days out of seven and the seventh day we're eating like salmon wow okay well that's yeah you know? that's a pretty that's a pretty reduced like well meat yeah. protein anyway but and then not a lot of we i mean then and then one night a week we have uh pizza and th- but that's about it and and it's and i felt i mean i'm down from the height of the pandemic i'm down from 250 down to 216 wow it's crazy congratulations that's great i mean it if, I mean, I'm also getting older, so yeah, it's time you know, blah, to blah, blah, blah. be careful about all that stuff. I'm I'm going on. I think next week will be my one year anniversary of being on keto, basically. So, how's that working? Well, it's I, I'm somebody who loves food. I mean, food was something that like yeah. I mean, that was yeah, where I got look- all my pleasure, pretty much. You know, I can't believe you're not out in a restaurant right now. Like, if I was in Montreal, I don't know if I could handle the the. Well, I, I'm definitely after this. I'm going to be going out and getting some Szechuan, and then I'm coming home to. I'm going to drive. It's like two hours to get home. I'm going to drive home and bring some of that back for the family. So they're, yeah, yeah man. But um, yeah. So this the diet, you know, it changes what you can eat, and so it's been like you've managed to keep your cooking still very interesting, even though you've totally changed the way that you were eating. Right. That's been I've yeah, had no I'm, challenge it, with that. It's it. You gotta, it's, it is hard. It is hard because I mean, like not eating chicken and, you know, chicken, you can make, you know, not eating rice and not eating pasta. It's, 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 it's yeah. tough. It's so you've tough. cut that so stuff So we've had to too. find. Like you've cut out like a lot of carbs. Yeah, no. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was huge for me. It was like trying to lose the weight. It was like getting rid of the rice yeah. and getting rid of the pasta. And we do, like I said, we do one night a week, we do pizza, but that's just about it. And, and then, you know, holiday time, we kind of like burn it up a little bit and, you know, do a little bit that's of this. It. Everybody that, does like, that this time. You can't help it. You can't eh, help it. Look, you're getting older. I'm, I'm, I'm much more, I'm much more aware of I'm much. It's much easier for me to keep it off than to like start from, I mean, it, it I, like I said to before, it was a blacksmithing thing. It was like, do what you say you're going to do, and then this is the way you got to mm-hmm. do it, so that's what you got to do. I mean, the Peloton has been like a, a godsend for me. Oh, that's what you're A you're godsend doing? for me. Oh, I love it. Yeah. I, and, I, and I love it. I love everything about it. And uh, some of the listeners of the podcast have reached out, and uh, if you want to, you know, if you want to, I do it. Uh, it's full blast on Peloton, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> and that's how I do it. But every morning, you know what the thing was, was... The only reason why I got it is I fucking hate juice. Yep. And I thought when I, I wake up in the morning 
and I take and my, and my I help get my wife out the door. So I make a real nice breakfast for her drive to work. I make her a nice lunch for her work. I, I want to make we my daughter and I consider ourselves ground crew for the my right. wife. My wife. That's great. And we want to make sure that you know when I when Hil- Lila does all the dishes and she does all the laundry and she when Hillary comes home we want it to you want her to be happy to be right. home. So in the morning I'm up with her at four thirty five o'clock. I make her breakfast. I make her lunch. I send her away. And then all of a sudden I'm drinking coffee and then scrolling through. Instagram or doing paperwork for, you know, 45 minutes. I was just like, you know, this is the time I could be doing Mm. this. So now at six o'clock every morning, I'm doing Peloton for 20, 30 minutes on the weekends. I do 45 minutes or an hour a day. And it's, it's changed my, I mean, it's changed me. I have more energy than I ever thought I would. I never thought I would. I never thought I had this. And then I walked the dogs four miles a day too. So it's, it's, Getting old, getting old sucks, and unfortunately, a lot of people think that they they're hoping that their lives will change, or they're hoping yeah. that that they'll be able to see their penis and their shoes yeah. and their and their feet without seeing a big stomach in the way. It doesn't work. You gotta you gotta do it. Gotta well, do I guess it le- we're kind of lucky in a way, right? You get as you get older, you get better with the whole discipline thing. Unfortunately, your body starts to you know turn into a pile of shit, but at least you've got uh, the kind of discipline to maybe do something about it, right? Which you didn't have well, when you were younger. At least I didn't. I mean, I, I treated my body like shit, you know. I treated my body like shit until I turned 30. Yeah. And then I had a doctor's appointment where they gave me a blood test. And they said my cholesterol was a little higher than normal for my age. And because my wife was a nurse practitioner, all of a sudden it was just like, you know, the alarm bells go off. It wasn't like my my blood, my, my, my cholesterol wasn't high, but it was higher than it yeah, should have been. Right. And so all of a sudden... I'm getting messages. So the nurse is telling me, well, you can't eat this and you can't eat that. And I'm just like, you know, don't t- she's giving me recipes. I'm like, I know how to fucking cook. Don't, I don't need. To. And then I said to my wife, I'm like, and my wife's telling me, well, you got to do this. You got to do that. And I'm like, look, I'll get my cholesterol down by myself. And I did. I got it down by myself. And I basically did a, you know, basically did a vegan right. diet. And I got my cholesterol down. Very good and everything like that. But I had to make the decision. Like, I don't want to have to make drastic changes when I'm 60. No. Like that's when you, you that's when life isn't yeah. fun. It's like, you know, you're way over the over the past and all of a sudden you're just like can't do this, can't do that, can't do this. I wanted to like fit, I wanted to ride easy into being able to deal with all right, I can't have a cheesesteak every night or I can't have a burrito every day or I can't have hot dogs all the time or I can't drink I had to like kind of like it started when I was thirty and it took about eighteen <laughs> years for me to like be cool with, yeah, we're gonna have C Tan for dinner and I'll make it good, trust me. You know, well, you it looks like you make it good, definitely does. Look at yeah. you. Make, do you have any last minute uh, resolutions? I don't know if you do resolutions for yeah. for twenty twenty two. What are you looking forward I, to? I don't know if I have resolutions. I'm definitely going to keep doing what I'm doing because it's been working. Like the the whole uh, the the change in the lifestyle, the change in the way I've been eating has been has been working. And so, like, I'm on the road to the road to recovery or whatever. You know, like the road to. Um, longevity, I don't know what the fuck you call it, but I'm definitely like on the same boat as you. I want to keep that shit going. I don't want to do any back. Do you have a do you have a, a weight that you want to be at? Yeah, so so when I went on the diet, I was 307, which and I'd already I'd really? yeah, I'd always told myself if you, if you hit 300, dude. But you what are you like 72? <laughs> I'm 63. So it's definitely way the hell out of out of whack. Anyway, so and now I've lost 45 pounds. So that's a good that's a wow. good start for one year. That's great. But the big start. one is no no more sleep apnea. It's like gone. My knees don't hurt anymore, and my cholesterol's down. So, like, what I'm doing is working. I'm going to just keep doing it, basically. Outstanding. Yeah. I tell you what, 
I have a doctor. My doctor, I've known him for a long time. We're about the same age. And the last time I went, I got my cholesterol down. And I was talking to, we were talking about, you know, what's going on. I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm trying, I'm going to lose some weight because I want to, I want to get, I want to do the New York City Marathon again. I, the last time I did it, my knees really hurt. And I think it was because I was very big. I was like carrying around a lot. Yeah. For right. me, I was yeah. carrying around a lot. I, I was trained perfectly, but the one thing that people don't realize is, is training on asphalt is different than training than running on concrete. Mm. And the city is all concrete. Right. And it was just like halfway through my knees were a disaster. And I, and I like to run long distance. And my doctor turns to me and he goes, well, you do kind of have a big, you're kind of not built to be a runner. <laughs> That's condemning. And I was like, listen, man, listen, Jim. You know, I call him Jim. He, he, when I talk to him, I call him doctor, right. whatever. I call him Jim. Jim, listen to me, man. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get down to 200 pounds. And I'm going to start to train. And I'm going to fucking do it again. So, that's my goal. I'm at 216 right now. I'm down to 216. Yeah, I'm my plan is my plan is to get down to 205, 200, 205, and then get back into the New York City Marathon with my wife, who's lost a shit ton of weight too. Um, Good for you, man. So look, I mean, this is you gotta. But the problem is, is every you can't just talk about it. You got to do it. So yeah, yeah actually, it's better the, not to talk about it. Thing. Because you start, it's you start talking about it, talk and it about feels it. like you're, you're you're doing more than you're really doing, and you know, no, 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 no. just do it, right? Yeah, just don't talk about Noah it. Vashon. Noah Vashon, I wish you much success, and I can't wait to see what you do in 2022. I know it's right be back great. at you, dude. Absolutely. Yeah, I I'm on. I'm I'm definitely in the market for a Vashon. That's your you have been on my radar, not radar. I've had a, like a wish list of knives to get, and you've been on there. And this year, I'm going to pull I'm the trigger for Thank sure. You. All right. Well, no, it's easy for me, guys. I want you guys to have a great uh, New Year's. Have a great time. Do your thing. See your family. You know, be careful. Be safe. And do what you got to do. Next week for the first episode of the New Year. I have a special surprise, but I have homework for you to do. Josh Radner is, you might know him as Ted Mosby from How I Met Your Mother. You might know him. He did a movie called Liberal Arts that he made. It was really great. He's actually Lonnie Flash on Hunters. Definitely see Hunters if you have the chance on Amazon. It's great. and He's terrific in it. I interviewed him a couple days ago, and that will be up next week for the first of the I'm I was super excited. We had a great conversation about all the work that he's done as a as an actor and what's fame is like and stuff like that. If you wanna really enjoy this fucking podcast, I want you to go on go watch the movie Afternoon Delight with Catherine Hahn. It's it'll make your stomach hurt. It is so crazy. And it's so like it's it's I just if you want to watch a great Josh Radner movie Afternoon Delights the movie for you go or go see uh, Hunt, watch Hunters Hunt, he's, Hunters is great he's great in it we, he talked about what it's like working with Al Pacino it was, it, was, it was a good conversation and you know we kind of went to school together and we talked about that in the meantime, I want you to thank my sponsors, uh, Axe Wax. I got to thank Noah at Axe Wax and Andreas Kalani. You guys have been with me from the beginning, and it is, it's an honor that you, keep, you keep, keep coming with me. So I really appreciate that. And I also want to thank Trojan Horse Forge, uh, Trojan underscore horse underscore forge on Instagram. This knife vice is just outstanding, and, and I'm like, I, I, all I want to do is like get all my grinding done so I can start to finish my knives with this, this, this stable rail vice 
Guys, have a wonderful new year. Thanks to Craig Lockwood. Craig Lockwood is my fucking homie. He puts this shit together for me. He, you know, I, I silver platter it for it to make it easy for him. And he's, he's the man. And, uh, I want to thank everybody who's been listening. I got a lot of nice messages about, uh, this podcast in regards to, keeping you company and I've been reading them all and I really appreciate all you guys Um, and that's it so have a great new year we're going to see you next week no weeks off guys no weeks off I got I got a lot of great people coming up who we got we got um, Jesse Oed is coming on Sunset Forge is going to come on Keith Mitchell Uh, we have one of the judges we have one of the judges from Metal Shop Masters coming on I'm going to leave it there she's coming on I told you who it is so see you next year guys and uh, Noah, thanks again. I really Thank appreciate you, it. Been a wonder. The Full Blast Podcast is proudly sponsored by Axe Wax, an all-natural, food-safe wax for coating your handles. It can be used on your axes, your knives, or even on your boots with the full confidence that Axe Wax is safe and durable. Furthermore, if you use the promo code FULLBLAST10, you will get a special 10% discount on your order. So go to axewax.us and get yourself some of the most luxurious wax for waxing your axe. If you like this show, take a look at our other shows made for makers just like you at www.makery.network.